they have the internet on computers now. Hey, Squares. Welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. We're on episode 35, and we're going to continue a discussion that uh, we had earlier which was primarily hijacked by Tomer. Hi, Tomer. Hi, Tomer. So we're going to discuss hardware today. Yay! Not just computer hardware, because sometimes there's other nifty hardware out there that's worth discussing, but primarily computer stuff. Yes. I'm your host, Bianca, and with me is Brian. Hi. <laughs> no belly slap. And Why we not? have an extra special guest today, Bianca's butt. <laughs> Featuring... I don't know what. <laughs> I, just make, I was going to make some rude comment, but I decided not to. <laughs> I think we're. Uh, I think our podcast took a permanent lowbrow uh, left turn at Albuquerque, thanks to last week's uh, <laughs> interesting episode with uh, Bennett Kelsey. Hi, Bennett Kelsey. Boy, was it fun to have the two of them on the show last yes, it time. Was. Yay! And uh, we have a couple of uh, chirpers in the vicinity who mm. are going to chirp throughout. So maybe more. Maybe more than a couple. Maybe three chirpers, to be precise. Uh, if she feels like beeping. <laughs> yeah. So, hi guys. Hope you had a good week and all. Um, my week was hard. I had a hard week. I'm glad the week's over. I woke up early today and I stayed in bed for like 90 minutes, just enjoying a nice relax. You got up early-ish yep. and uh, started boning up on your nerd lessons very promptly, huh? Oh, what can I say? I was... Uh... <laughs> I'm, enjoy I'm enjoying Khan Academy. Oh yeah, do you wanna you wanna tell the, the wee children about Khan Academy? Uh, for those of you who either vaguely remember the name or are wondering what Khan, Khan Academy is, it's an online uh, learning place where you go and get some uh, book learning that you uh, probably regret not having done in high school or elementary school for that matter. So. Uh, being the nerd I am, I'm like, okay, let's start with history. I did basically pre-Renaissance history, which was mostly um, the Greeks, Romans, and uh, all the other lovely uh, savage tribes in the area. You know, the ones the Greeks called the barbarians, because as far as the Greeks are concerned, all the other savage tribes sounded like bar, 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 and there goes a bird. <laughs> so... Bar, 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 became incorporated into language to mean barbarian or person who did not speak Greek. Mm -hmm. See, there's some nerd learning right there. Yeah, very xenophobic. Oh, yeah, very xenophobic. Well, they were uh, very patriotic about their city-states rather than them as a whole. It took uh, a war with the Persian to get them, to get the Greek city-states to actually stop fighting each other for two minutes. Hmm. Anyway, so basically, I... I started off just with some ancient history, and from there I moved into the uh, Crash Course history, which is really good stuff. It's also on YouTube, and it's hosted by John Green. He's quite an articulate orator and uh, makes history interesting. Yeah, he seems to have some kind of dynamism in his voice that he kind of has some energy and hems yeah. it up a little bit. And brings history alive, even when it's dead. And wait for it, except the Mongols. <laughs> You'll get the reference if you actually watch one of the videos. Oh, good, I won't. 
<laughs> history. That already happened, man. Yeah, and history's happening right now. Well, it just did. But not now. But now it just did. But not now. But now it just did. Yeah. And also on the site are various other uh, subjects, mostly science and math. I decided to bone up on my knee, um, on math for some reason because I'm feeling like a masochist. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Um, what else was there? There's also science. There's a science section which has uh, cosmology and uh, interstellar uh, math and all you know the star stuff. Oh, and you also did some JavaScript. Yeah, I only did like the first lesson. I have to go back to that. That was cool because you were like inputting all of these commands to draw vector art, and you made like a plate of food. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. Cool. That was the uh, first project. That was really neat. Mm -hmm. The other nerdy thing I do, and this is actually I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing it since January of this year. Is uh, using Duolingo for uh, that's my other nerdy lesson place, and uh, I go there to, and this is a great place to learn languages. I've been working on Dutch. I know, I'm a Canadian. I should probably be learning French, but for some reason, French makes my butt cry. <laughs> I've never been able to learn French. It just never clicked with my little nerdy brain. Really? Yeah, my brain started crying and shut down at the first sight of uh, the various French articles. I mean, you can't string a fucking sentence together in that language without an indefinite article or some masculine or feminine version of the article inserted between every other word. Oh, does, is Dutch less focused on masculine and feminine uh, nouns? There's no, there's only, there's a, only a very, there's only a few of them, and the articles are gender neutral. Okay. The only time the articles change is basically is based on the on the word itself, rather than the uh, the gender of the word. The owner of the thing. Sorry. It's the only time that the article to say the word the. Mm -hmm. It's day and hit. The only time those really change is for certain words. If it's a more specific gender, if the uh, if the word it has, if the word that follows it is a gender word. Oh, that's really per that's really peculiar. So it's um, it's a Germanic language, right? Yes, it's in, it's in the same family as English, and right. it's considered uh, to be the close a very close cousin of English. Yeah, which is interesting because I think. I I don't know actually whether German has more masculine and feminine. It does. German nouns. is I much. Yeah, German is actually closer, had that uh, part inherited from uh, Latin with its... Uh, right. But English lost that, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And Dutch doesn't really retain it, though it does retain some of the uh, masculine and feminine words for, that we do use often in English. Like business, instead of like businessman, businesswoman, we would use. Right. But uh, we might use uh, actor to refer to both the male and female uh, <laughs> Actors in Hollywood or Bollywood or wherever they decide to uh, ham it up in yeah. front of a screen and camera. <laughs> or ham it down, like I do. I'm not going to say anything on that. But yeah. yeah, it's a good site. I love it. I've tried a few other uh, languages, but unless you're already bilingual, trying to do two languages at once is tricky. But the site is really good, and some of the, and some of the other courses have a lot more. Uh, means of helping you learn. They actually have microphone in inputs. They'll have, um, and they have uh, like more colloquial aspects. For example, French has uh, bonus aspects for flirting and teaching you uh, uh, 
like not I wouldn't say proverbs, but it's like colloquial sayings. Like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, sure. Idioms. Idioms. That's what I'm looking for. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, it's uh, that's one of my favorite things about language learning those little colloquialisms that either don't make sense or make hilarious sense because it's something that we never really thought to say in that in that way before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which makes idioms even more fun is if you're a native speaker of the language, you mess up the idiom anyways. <laughs> right. Which I've apparently done many times. Which I don't remember a specific example, but I've uh, done that and I've been corrected. Instead of saying uh, saucer over teacup, I'd say teacup over saucer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which of those is the right way. It's saucer over teacup because you want to go bottoms up. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so... Uh, so how are you enjoying... Uh, you, you're pretty well uh, disciplined in terms of the e-learning kind of stuff. It's not for everybody, I think. No, it's not. And those sites in particular, I think, Duolingo and Khan Academy, because those don't really have assignments. No, they don't. Well, or, actually. Or tests. Well, Khan Academy had that interactive thing, at least. And it that's a project, them, and, it's, uh, and, you, and, you get, and you get reviewed by peers. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Ah, I didn't realize they did that, because the one that I had taken was with Coursera, and there's a similar one called EDX, and those are, like, timed things, where everybody starts on the same day, and it's a four or eight or 12 week class or whatever. And then you and your peers start the homework at the same time, finish the homework at the same time. And then you have to review like three other students homework before you're allowed to graduate. Whereas Khan Academy is like, you start whenever you want and finish whenever you want, mm-hmm. right? Yes, it is, but it but it has gamification. So it does reward you for going in, for doing it every day or doing it for consecutive days. There's one, Thing that, for example, there's a badge that rewards you for doing something for uh, for for uh, looking for learning a section for an hour at a time, like not necessarily in one sitting, but for focusing on one subject for a straight for a complete hour before moving on to something else. Mm-hmm. There's another one for that also that, that tracks consecutive days, and Duolingo tracks streaks. So every ten days, you get one lingot. And so, and those lingots increase in value. So on the 20th day, you get two, 30th day, you get three. So and it you encourages get, you to come back every day without fail? Yeah. And then if you have to go away, what you can do is buy a street freeze. And the, the lingots actually go toward the uh, like an, a learning store. So there's no real monetary value for this. Instead, you earn lingots by doing your lessons and completing lessons. Yeah, and in fact, you haven't even spent any money learning another language or learning science or... Mm-mm. History or anything or math. Nope, these are all completely free. It's pretty damn cool. Yes, it is, and I would have to say that uh, you know having milestones that you that you can reach yourself in the form of badges or experience points. What the hell was that noise? What the hell was that noise? Was that my Twitter client? I don't know. Oh, that was my Twitter client. Sorry, guys. Stupid Twitter. Anyway. So I would say that the, the experience and the gamification actually is a good incentive, especially if you are a gamer. Yeah. Because I know that my my dad, who does listen to this podcast, plays games, but I wouldn't consider him necessarily a gamer in the same wavelength as as, pe- as most people who listen here. Hi, Dad. <laughs> and so he did try Duolingo, but he didn't really stick with it, so I don't think the gamification had an appeal to him. It really does take a lot of self-discipline to be able to do that kind of stuff because like, you're not sitting in a classroom... If you don't do it one day, nobody's going to notice. And uh, 
shame you for it the next time. You won't feel that guilt for, for not showing up one day and showing up the next. Mm -hmm. So I guess you really have to be uh, self-incentivized, you might say. Yeah, well, I actually did one of my classes online for my undergrad. Oh, yeah, me too. What did you do? Um, some English class, I guess. I don't. I really don't remember, and I think... Well, me too. I did too, actually. Yeah. You I don't remember? You no. I think it might have been some kind of poetry class. Hmm. Ugh, so boring. But because I think it wasn't the, uh, the class was boring just because it wasn't in class. It's one of those things that need to really be in a classroom to be interesting. Yeah, if it was poetry, I think that, you know, sometimes it's tough to understand poetry when you can't hear how the things are supposed to be, like, emphasized or, like, the rhythm or the meter of a mm -hmm. poem. So, or to uh, hear it being read out and have the discussion about what everything means. Exactly. Or even before the discussion, just to hear your professor who understands the poem read it and emphasize the correct things. It kind of, you can kind of infer from that whether something is more important than the others or whether it's, if they mention three things in one line, which one of those three things is the most important. So yeah, it's poetry kind of comes alive a little bit when somebody's mm -hmm. reading it out loud. I mean, some stuff you can easily, I would say you could pretty, you could learn from home, but that's, that other things would be uh, better would be better with the uh, with someone on the other end even if you have one other if even you're learning at home with another person mm -hmm. well i took the two classes that i took they were like literature classes mm -hmm. that i took online one of them was science fiction oh yeah that was a really fun one because I, I got to read encouraging me to take that yeah i enjoyed that class a lot um because you got to read whatever book you wanted out of a list and one of them was jurassic park I've read Jurassic Park twice, and I don't remember whether it was my first or second time during that class. But that's a really, really, really good book. I love that book. Um, and we also read Frankenstein. That was the, the book that we read all as a class. And I love that book by Mary Shelley. Yeah. That was a, a beautiful book. Oh, yeah. And isn't Frankenstein the, the, the uh, doctor who's the one who creates the monster and not the monster himself? Yeah, that's right. Dr. Frankenstein is the one who makes experiments and creates the monster. And the monster is all scary and repulsive to look at, but it's a very sympathetic character and speaks very eloquently. So that was a nice, surprising book. And if you have, like, predispositions about the story from mass media and from old movies and stuff like that, the book is an even nicer surprise. So, and, and the other class that I did was about children's literature. Oh, yeah, and that's where you read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Yes. Yes, the Philosopher's Stone. That's right. So I didn't realize until after I had purchased the book that the book on our reading list was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So I asked uh, the professor about that, and a couple of other people uh, spoke up about that as well, saying, oh, no, did we buy the wrong book? And apparently... Philosopher's Stone was the original British title of the first Harry Potter book, and they had to dumb it down for American shelves and called it the Sorcerer's Stone until the movie came out, and then they renamed it back to Philosopher's Stone because that was the name of the movie as well. So that was kind of an interesting thing. It's not an uncommon thing. Yeah, but it's kind of neat because we have both books, so it's awesome to see the art on both of them. Oh, that's right. We do own both, don't we? Yeah. But for the rest of them, we own just single copies because <laughs> why else would we need duplicates? Yeah. So this would have been in uh, the early 2000s that I took these courses. And they were not very sophisticated online courses or anything. Like we would read like a wall of text, which equated to a lecture from the professor every week. And sometimes we would have a quiz online. And 
it was open book and it wasn't timed. We just had to fill it out and submit it, and then we were graded on that. So it didn't matter. Like there was no no concept of cheating or anything. You just fill it out, and if it's right, it's right. Um, there were also there's also a uh, major assignment, which was an essay for both of those. Where I can't remember what the topic was, but you had to for science fiction. You had to like contrast the book that you read the book you read with uh, Frankenstein, I think, and then say what are the parallels. And stuff like that, and the children's literature one, we had to talk about the different themes in Harry Potter and wow. how that equates to other kinds of literature. Well, at least those assignments make sense. Unlike this one stupid assignment I had in OAC English, that would for those of you for those of you who uh, are either too young or aren't Canadian, OAC was the was a uh, Ontario version of Grade Thirteen. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, there's only a, High school would go from uh, grade 9 to 12 in Canada, but for some reason we had an additional year here until uh, 2003. Quebec as well, right? Uh, no, they go to grade 11 and then it, the past diverge and you have Cégep and the option to finish high school. Cégep oh, is like pre-college. Oh, I thought that was 13. It's 12? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I know this because my mother did only went to grade 11. Mm. She never yeah. went to Cégep. That's right. So several years ago, it must have been a decade ago or so, I guess, they got rid of that 13th grade in uh, Ontario. It was called OAC, Ontario Academic Credits, I think. So they got rid of that just to save money. And so there was a weird transition where we had... A double cohort, two classes graduating at once. That's right. So university admissions were bonkers that year because there were twice so as many So it was dormitory residents and everything. Yeah. And he, so, like, guys, I was the last class before the double cohort. And... Uh, so, mm. when so, but I didn't take. I had taken. I was taking my actual always my English credit in. I think it was the first semester of grade eleven. I was doing this, mm. so I was taking grade thirteen English in my first semester of grade eleven. Have after having done all my grade twelve credits at the end of grade ten. I think I might have fast tracked one or two English credits. I fast tracked all my computer credits to the computer classes. I never had. I didn't had no computer classes in high school. I had oh, art. <laughs> Oh, computer in high school was fun. We it was mostly programming and learning binary and octal and hexadecimal and stuff like that, and a lot of goofing around. It was clear who was a computer enthusiast, and that's where my circle of friends mostly was. I had two circles of friends: the computer people and the music people. Even though I didn't read, uh, I, I didn't uh, play any of the band instruments. I was friends with a lot of people that were in like the the brass band. Um, but the computer guys were the coolest by far. We did all kinds of fun stuff in class. So as long as we were furthering our education in some way, then our, our teachers were pretty cool about us, whether we stuck to the uh, curriculum or not. So I was, so for my, so back to my assignment, because as Brian pointed out, he had to contrast, uh, you know, the themes of Jurassic Park with uh, Frankenstein. Right. So both of them at least are the same genre and, and discuss themes in Harry Potter that are common in children's literature. Hmm. But for oh, for my assignment, my, my teacher was really weird. Um, we had to give a list of books, like a list of 10 books, and he would pick two that we would have to write an essay on and compare them. So I had to compare. Uh, oh, what was it? That's a vampire. What was the third book in the Vampire in the Vampire of the Stat series? Queen, Queen of the Damned, that's it. I had to compare Anne Rice's Queen of the Damned against Margaret Atwood's uh, Blind Assassin. I thought Anne Rice was too uh, spicy for high school. 
as I said, my perfect my English teacher was a little strange. <laughs> I think they usually are. Yeah. But the thing is, if so, and then after all my work, my, my, my grammar was fine. I did everything right. Uh, because the assignment was so bizarre, I failed my English assignment. Hmm. But yet I still managed to come out of that class with an A+. Plus. What? Turns out the teacher was uh, had questionable ethics, was not doing a bunch of stuff by the book, and had uh, been harassing a few of the girls in my class. Oh, so the teacher got the heave ho. He got, he got the heave ho, and all our grades were tossed. And our entire English grade was based on the as the final exam. Oh no, that's education. <laughs> oh, I know. Another exam we were supposed to have read the to kill a mockingbird. Teacher threw that whole segment of the exam out the window. Hmm. And the rest, but the rest of the students who had a different professor teacher in grade 10 had to read to kill a mockingbird we mm. didn't teacher hated the book so we didn't have to read it oh nice instead we got agatha christie and uh arthur conan doyle oh very nice yeah all right i don't want to get i don't want to talk too much more about <laughs> high school i had a, i had a mystery literature uh, class in high school yeah so uh, what else so what other nerdy stuff do we want to talk about now nerdy stuff uh, I definitely want to give a shout out to uh, Anatoly, who uh, put out a new episode of the Das Nostalgic podcast, which is such a rare treat that I definitely have to call it out when he does a new uh, a new episode. I listened to it this week. He has a guest named Jake from Australia, presumably the only Jake in all of Australia. So hi, <laughs> hi Jake. Say hi to Australia for us. Um, and they were talking about real-time strategy games in the DOS era, which was terrific. It was really, really fun. He was a fun guest. And, of course, uh, Anatoly is a great host who asks a lot of good questions and uh, contributes a lot because he's pretty much played every DOS game ever created. Wow. Um, pretty much. Um it was a really, really good show. I loved it. I definitely recommend it. And, of course, I'll put it in the show notes, as I will for, by the way, all of the uh, internet-based learning stuff that we talked about. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, Anatoly also on his uh, website, dustnostalgia.com, uh, mentioned the couple of episodes where he is guested on this show. And he calls me lovely. So thank you, Anatoly. Uh, I lovely. agree. I Anatoly. am lovely. You got it wrong. He is not lovely. I'm lumpy. Lumpy. Yes, that's the word you need to be using. Lumpy. Oh, okay. And lumpily. Lumpily? Is that my adverb? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, a shout out to uh, to Trolls and uh, Gareth and Fred of the Open Crowdsource uh, show. Oh, that's such, that's so hilarious. It's and, a funny they didn't show. Use my, and they didn't even acknowledge my tuba. <laughs> you're really you're really uh hucking that too ain't you <laughs> oh i just want to see if they would at least acknowledge it last time i won't push it again i just want to see if they would acknowledge it i mean what do you expect when you get another german theme going yeah we did didn't we so last week they had a really special guest which was josh mandel formerly of uh sierra who is such a cool guy um mm -hmm. boy do they they I, I tuned in at exactly the wrong time i i tuned into the show uh about five minutes before it started, and uh, on uh, what I got to enjoy watching full screen was Josh Mandel mm. having his face methodically and thoroughly <laughs> licked by his wife <laughs> for like a good 90 seconds or so. Uh, 
That was something. I don't remember this. I guess I must have been out of the room. I, no, you were sitting right next to me. You just weren't terribly interested in the show until uh, until they... Uh, Brought out the cards? Well, yeah. So Josh Mandel, I don't think you have to <laughs> you have to guess too much about whether the guy is Jewish with a name like that. They uh, what, what was his full theme? Do you remember? Oh, I don't know. You should link it in the, in the, in the show notes. I will definitely link it in the show notes. Oh, I think I've got it in my show notes. Let me uh, see if I can go find it. But basically, they had... Oopsie. They had Josh uh, design a game. What the hell's the matter with me? I don't have the link here. I'll have to put the link. Sorry. Of course you don't. Um, they, had, they had him design a game about... Uh, Hitler in Mongolia or something like oh, yeah, that? Yeah, the Gobi the, Desert. And, uh, the Gobi Desert. We had to figure out how to get them there. So, But we managed to get them, and because it's uh, they uh, also have IRC going at the same time, we managed to get them to have a smoking camel. I wanted I wanted a yak, but they took but they, they took Brian's camel for a ride. Yeah, I wanted a and Jewish they, yak. And they, no had that, yak. and they had Shlomo as uh, the assistant who didn't know that he was actually dealing with Hitler. Oh, yeah, Shlomo the Sherpa or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh Mandel is really hilarious. He's and he loves his horrible, horrible puns. Mm. Uh, although I think pun of the day went to Gareth, who uh, because it's the open crowdsource podcast replaced uh, Yak with GNU. So however many nerds of you there are out there, all oh, that that had me like <laughs> secreting various liquids and gases. It was so funny. So that was pleasant. Yes, it was. Um. I, uh, right before the show, or not long before the show, I rewatched a 20-minute video from a former DEF CON uh, security and hacking conference. I don't know what the guy's name was. His name wasn't in the video, and it started recording, recording after he had introduced himself. An Australian guy. What are you looking me over for, woman? I know I'm gorgeous. I'm like, I'm just figuring out where I can bite you. Where can't you bite me? So... I don't know. The yeah. part's under the table right now. You suck. Or the part you're sitting on, your ass. I'm sitting on my ass. Anyway, if you please. Um, so this guy was a, a, a hacker himself, and he tells this fantastic story about someone breaking into his dormitory while he was studying at MIT and stealing his uh, Mac computer. A desktop, not a laptop. Yeah, so. a desktop computer. So that takes some real audacity. He like breaks in through the second floor window and and carries away his uh, desktop computer and both of his uh, backup hard drives, <laughs> leaving him with nothing. So I don't want to give the whole thing away, but basically two years later, long after the guy had given up trying to find it, uh, he comes across like uh, something that is conspicuously absent, which is a clue that maybe his laptop or maybe his uh, desktop is still in existence and uh, goes on to identify and thoroughly shame the thief. Or at least someone who may have purchased this uh, stolen piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. So that was a really, really funny and really cool story. It's only 20 minutes long. It's, he, it's worth watching. It's hilarious. I think so, too. He, he also starts it with a funny story. It's not even... It's like a 15-minute story with like a five-minute preamble story before it, which is also really Yeah, funny. it's a good anecdote and just really interesting stuff about uh, different view on, on computer security because we're used to thinking of computer security in terms of, you know, preventing... Uh, malicious hardware and malicious not hardware software such as trojans and uh, viruses from infecting our computer that we don't think about the physical ha act of actually hacking it like to pick it up and leave with it 
Yeah, exactly. So he, in his in his uh, humble but self-deprecating way, he uh, gives advice about where he failed to uh, secure his physical environment and tells people how they can do a better job of it or what he learned from the experience. And the whole thing ends with a lessons learned thing. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of cheeky and foul-mouthed. Um, and uh, he does a really good job of shaming. And lots of shaming. Guy. Yeah. So oh, over too much shaming. Definitely watch it. I'll put that in the show notes. That was a really fun one. Yeah, it's called one. Pwned by the Owner. Oh, that's one way of putting it. Yes. There was a, a real public shaming there. Yes, there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, other thing I want to mention is that it's been quite some time now that those of you who opted in for it uh, would have received your MPC Magazine Volume Negative 1, which is the second... Uh, physical magazine that we put out and uh, possibly the last magazine that we'll put out. It's at uh, great personal expense to uh, to co-host and a huge friend of the podcast, Chris. Hi, Chris. We miss you. So, yeah, he paid for that whole thing out of pocket and I don't think it was an insignificant amount of money. So, boy, do I appreciate his hard work putting that together and getting that in people's hands. I think the statute of limitations has expired on that where hopefully the people have, in, uh, have uh, received and enjoyed their physical copies so this week I will scan it and stick it up on the website. So there's that. Okay. Um, I let's talk about Kickstarter. This is something that this is a list that I wrote out a couple of weeks ago, but our guests have been so interesting that verbose I <laughs> and verbose that I I didn't want to take away from the experience of uh, letting them say their piece. So I did some. Uh, I, I'm a regular contributor to Kickstarter projects, and Bianca has contributed to do a couple of them. Two yeah, of them. he's a couple, and I've uh, been and the and a couple of the, Ryan has actually uh, supported. I thought looked good as well, so we've been so I piggybacked on him for that. There's one that we he actually put in for music for uh, Rainbow Kitten. Yeah, that's my most recent one, which I and, didn't uh, include in my calculations here. So we, whatever I'm about to mention, we can just add twenty five bucks to that. Twenty six, because you said that you always do. You did the base for the. Oh um, yeah, yeah. This is something I encourage you all to do. By the way, if you really believe in Kickstarter and wanting to help people fund their projects, yes, there are different tiers that will enable you to receive different prizes and uh, backer rewards. Uh, what I like to do is find the backer award that I want and pledge one or two dollars more than that. It doesn't get me any more reward, but it's just a little bit more money that goes into the hands of the person doing the project, you know, just for the heck of it. So I like to do that. Or if I really believe in a project, sometimes a project will have like an early bird price, which will allow you to get a certain reward for five bucks less or something. So if I really believe in the project, I'll pledge, uh, I'll, I'll get that reward tier, but I'll get the the not limited, not early bird version of it, just to free it up for someone else. Maybe that $5 will be the difference between somebody else backing it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the vast majority, I believe, well, let's, I, I don't even remember my stats because these are a couple of weeks old now, but let's go over these, shall we? Okay. I just thought for fun, we could take a look at my Kickstarter history. Okay, so... Um, I have pledged to 26, uh, 26 projects that were successful and to five more projects that didn't meet their target or were pulled before uh, the deadline because they weren't going to make their, their target. So that's 31 projects, 25 of which were successfully funded and my money was collected. I'm sorry, I should say 25 of the money was collected. I pledged to the 26th one. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be the 26th successful one because the guy has over two-thirds of his uh, 
uh, asked for uh, total. Before, like, in, like, two days. In, like, two or three days, yeah. He's only... This is Rainbow Kitten, whose uh, song I played at the end of last week's episode. And he also did the soundtrack for one of the two Kickstarter projects, Bianca Bot, which was Orion Trail. Yeah. Really fun composer. He does some... It's all electronic chip music kind of sounds, but some of it is techno-y and some of it is just jazzy. Similar in many ways to Maxo. Not quite as... uh, Who's my other my other favorite uh, chiptune style composer? So not quite as intricate, a little more, uh, a little less, uh, in, yeah, just intricate is the word for it. A little less complicated in his compositions, but I love uh, Rainbow Kitten's music. So he has a, a Kickstarter that I just backed, and for one of the tiers at twenty five dollars, you get his newest album, which has an interesting gimmick. Um, if you pledge the twenty five dollars you can contribute an audio sample and he'll make the whole song out of that one sample. So only five people uh, can contribute the $25 to uh, each have one song. So five songs total, which are, which will be created with with a single sample that he'll manipulate into different instruments. So I got to find him a real good sample. Mm-hmm. And there's so you're a, and one I, of the five. That's pretty cool. I didn't even realize that was a limited tier. Yeah, sure. Well, you can only put so many album, so many songs on an album, I suppose. That's true. That's so true. He, but he, I would have thought that that would have been reserved for one of the higher tiers. I guess so. Well, twenty five may very well be one of the higher tiers. I think it is one of the highest tiers because he only wants five hundred bucks, which is cool. Mm-hmm. That's humble enough, I think. I mean, yeah. And I also get every album that he's ever made for that twenty-five bucks, which I think you might get with like a ten or fifteen dollar pledge as well. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll stick that in the show notes actually. Uh, Rainbow kitten starter. I know that's a kick-ass name. Um, so I've I've success. I've pledged for twenty-five <laughs> projects that were successfully funded, and I've paid the money. And for five projects uh, where my money was not collected because. Uh, they were canceled or, or uh, unsuccessful. So the first, uh, the very first uh, game that I, or the very first Kickstarter project I ever backed was the Double Fine Adventure, which is uh, why did I write Broken Sword? That is not the name of the Double Fine Adventure. It was Broken Age. Oh yes, yes. Oh, that's an awesome game. I love the graphics on that. I didn't. I haven't played it myself, but I've watched Brian play it through a couple of times now. It's just such beautiful graphics, interesting storytelling. But I most of all just appreciate the way the graphics look because they're not really anything you've seen before. There is like you, you can still tell they're people and everything, but it's just so different. It's the double fine, hideously adorable. Exactly. Style. It just it looks Grotesque. like psychonauts, but it's a lot more refined and you, it's definitely more contemporary in its design oh the art is unbelievable in that game and the music and the voice acting and the jokes all the game is almost perfect the only thing i didn't really like was the ending and i'm gonna have to take a breather from that game for a year or something and then play it again with like a fresh brain and see whether it uh, holds up better mm-hmm. but overall that was a very good game and that was an interesting one so that was the first kickstarter i ever backed and i think that was probably true of a lot of people who are into video games uh, the, the first uh, project they backed as well. Um, and they didn't really... That project might not have been successful as a Kickstarter uh, proposal if it were put out in that form today. Because basically what they said was, they uh, Double Fine said they want to make like an old school point and click adventure. And that's almost all they said about it. And they asked for $400,000, which I guess is probably enough for like six or seven or eight staff members for a couple of years. Um, and instead of the four hundred thousand dollars, they made three point three million dollars, 
which really threw their scope out of whack, I suppose. Not, I don't even know whether they had a scope, but it was clearly more than they knew what to do with. So they spent a lot of time and a lot of money making the first, making their own game engine, I'm pretty sure, and all the art and the characters and the, doing the writing and doing the story and the music and all that stuff, the voice acting. And it sounds like they ran out of money or came close to running out of money, so they split the game in half instead of publishing it as a whole. And then they sold it kind of as a season pass, halves one and two, and they funded the development of the second half with the proceeds from the first half. Um, so that's kind of an interesting way to do it. I didn't really have any bad feelings about the way that they did it. I didn't really care. I understood that it was going to be a cohesive whole by the end of it, and I kind of appreciated being able to play the first half. I love the first half. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So I uh, pledged $30 for that game, like sight unseen, with almost no description of what exactly was being delivered, just because of who it was that was making the proposal. I had full faith in them. So uh, all, all uh, my Kickstarters put together, I, I'll, I'll omit the Rainbow Kitten one that I just uh, backed the other day because that hasn't been collected for another, that won't be collected for another three weeks. Um, I've pledged $419 to successfully funded projects. And that's over, I don't know, that's like four or five years now, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I've broken this down a little bit just for, for interest. So out of $419 that I've pledged, $164 is the value of projects that have been delivered and that I'm now in possession of. And I believe that includes, so $164. I think that includes uh, $50 for Dreamfall Chapters, which is my highest pledged game. Um, because I love Ragnar Tornquist's uh, Dreamfall and Longest Journey so much that I pledged all that money. That's like Two and a half times more than the thing is worth, I think. Anyway, um, $164 out of $419 is the value of the products that have been delivered to me successfully. Um, there's uh, 70, $79 is the value of the projects that are still due in the future and have not yet been delivered. And $176 is the value of projects that should have been delivered but are now overdue. So I paid more, I, I have more money hanging in the balance for projects that should have been delivered than for projects that have successfully been delivered. So I break that down a little bit more. Nine successfully, nine products that I've uh, backed out of the 25 have been successfully received. And I'm giving Dreamfall Chapters the benefit of the doubt because three out of the five episodes have been released and they're strongly on track to continue releasing those, even though it was late. Yeah, because I mean, the fact that they've already released it means that, they, that they're on track to finish. Yeah. So, there's a toggle on Kickstarter's website that yeah, lets you looking, say whether your project has been, like, yes or no, has your project product been delivered? I can tell you right that right now. I actually have three on uh, Kickstarter. Oh, right. And you're generous with Grim Dawn because that is only out in early access right now. It's not fully complete. True, but uh, early access, the duration of early access really depends on the developer because uh, some developers will pull out of early access early, such as Chanel Games. Is that right? Chanel or Shell? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Let's see what the heck they write. Cause they, so yeah, that one's going to be on time anyway. Oh, no kidding. On Shell time, Games. Yeah. That's the one. They, these are the guys who did Orion Trail. Yeah, okay, holy out of early. crap. Okay, so I pledged back on February 4th of this oh, year. Oh, they're ahead of schedule. Good they for them. are way ahead of schedule. They're they were expected to uh, deliver in December. 
they're pulling out of early access by by October. So, so two months ahead of schedule on budget. That's very impressive. Yeah, they had they had to make a decision about one of the mini games, but I don't think the mini game will be missed. Seeing as how there's already quite a bit of content, and they still have two more areas to finish, and they have all these different missions and hidden content that has yet to be uh, discovered by me. I think that I am definitely got my money's worth. I pledged $25, but I got a really good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I got uh, three other games <laughs> and I'm getting, and I have the base game, which I've been, which I got to access, which I've been able to play in early access. Yeah, that is super cool. Most impressive at all, I think is that they're choosing to release the game two months early instead of tacking on what I'm, I guess they consider to be like a subpar mini game. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really interesting idea. Like that's a sign of very strong project management skills. Yes, it is because the mini game w- was going to be a shooter. On, um, I would say very similar to what you got in uh, Oregon Trail, where you went off track to shoot a bunch of buffalo. And of course, you would shoot like like a thousand pounds of buffalo, but you could only carry back two hundred pounds. <laughs> oh, I bet you would. Uh, I bet you would uh, get two hundred pounds of uh, warp weasel meat. No, don't kill the warp weasel. They're too weasel. cute. Mm, but they taste like they taste like radioactive pickle relish. Mm. Ugh. <laughs> no, they taste like radioactive pickle bacon. Pickled bacon? Mm, that would actually be pretty good. I could go for that. Okay. If we didn't have hamburgers for breakfast, that would make me hungry. But we had a stupid breakfast that was way too filling, and I'm very satisfied. Me too. <laughs> uh, I, although I did have female on mine, so I did get my bacon. I'm a happy camper. Right. Yay, ham. Ham. So, so nine of my 25 successfully funded projects have, uh, have, I've received them on time. Or, no, I've, no, I've, I've received them. Or most of them. Um, the two projects that I paid the most for were Dreamfall Chapters for $50. And although it's not a Kickstarter game, I put Star Citizen on there because I backed that for $60. They did that on their own funding site. And my goodness, I don't know what that game's budget is up to now, like $81 million or something. It is by far the most successful crowdfunded project in the history of crowdfunding. And it's gorgeous from what I've seen. It's ridiculously gorgeous. I have to pick it up and play play with it some more. Yeah. I'm sure there's another 20 gigabyte patch waiting for me since I haven't loaded it in two weeks. (laughs) Um, So that means that of my 25 successfully pledged products, 16 of them are past due. 16 of them, I, I, I hope I have that right. It's been two weeks, but it seems to me like every single project that has not yet been delivered, um, that is still yet to be delivered, is overdue. It's past the date that they said they were going to deliver by. And almost all of those 16 projects are more than one year overdue. So my two most delayed project projects, which are almost delayed exactly the same amount, are the space venture by the two guys from Andromeda from uh, from Sierra, formerly of Sierra? Space venture is going to be a little bit similar to their Space Quest games. The estimated delivery date for Space Venture was February 2013, so that's a little nasty. They're almost three years overdue, and I know that they've had some issues with funding and with retaining staff and technology. I think they made something and then started over in a new engine, but still, that's a long time to be overdue. Yes. Um, and the other one is another uh, another Sierra alumnus, Ken Allen, who was going to release an album under uh-huh. the Half Dome, and that was due in May 2013. Familiar? What did he do before? Ken Allen? Well, he was a musician at Sierra. Mm-hmm. He's uh, that's, that's all I've known him for, as a matter of fact. Okay. He, did, he, did, he did music for other 
uh, adventure games as well, and probably for non-adventure games too. I can't really name him. Uh, his okay, works very yeah. Well. I guess I must have seen his name in the credits then. Could very music. well be. Could very well be. He's a fantastic musician, and his album was going to be like orchestral, real instruments, renditions of his favorite Sierra music. But that's almost three years overdue now. Sure. And that's mostly because he elected to assist the two guys from Andromeda with the Space Venture game, because they were having some trouble keeping that on schedule. So I don't know if I agree with him in terms of letting down so many of his backers. His backers are quite angry that he's seemingly not abandoned, but significantly delayed this music album. They were just expecting like an hour of music from him and it's taking him like three years yeah. just to I start. can understand some delay because if, if you're turning, if you're using real instruments and uh, having to coordinate, that can take some time, but three years seems almost excessive. And it's It does. It does, quite frankly. It's and, disappointing. Oh, quite disrespectful, actually, of your backers. In Ken Allen's example, I kind of have to agree with that. For another company that's like, you know, it's real people with real world issues. Oh, of course, of course. Then, I mean, th this stuff happens. And surely, you know, delays happen in the AAA and otherwise, like, non-indie video game world as well. It's just a fact of, of the chaos of game development and product development. It's mm -hmm. going to happen. But when you have made a... a, a pledge to your people who love your work so much and trust you so much that they'll pay you far in advance for a product that doesn't even exist yet. And then you say, oh, sorry, I'm actually going to delay this indefinitely while I work on somebody else's project that you probably you, you might not have paid any money for. I think that is disrespectful, quite mm -hmm. frankly. So I'm actually, as we mentioned, I'm backing a couple of the projects as well. So as I've talked before in numerous podcasts, the Ryan Trail, yes, I love the game. It's fantastic. Graphics are cute. I I'm mean, so glad. little red shirts, and then, you know, you watch them die, it's like, and then they're just a pile of dust. Kind of like when the red shirts get decimated uh, in Star Trek on that one particular so called paradise planet. It's like there's nothing left of it but a little <laughs> uh, mud pile where the guy used to be standing. Oh, the apple? Is that yeah. the one you're talking about? Uh huh. Yeah. So anyways... So what else have you backed? I backed so Ryan Trail. Great game. I love it. If you haven't played it in early access, wait for it to come out. It's really... It's worth it. And I believe it's actually going to be just $10. These guys aren't charging much for a fantastic game with a great soundtrack. Oh, well, that's nice. So that's out in a week or so, or two. Yeah, it's already in early access, so it can still be bought now. Mm-hmm. Um, Tokyo Visual Novel. For those of you who aren't familiar, Tokyo started out as... Um, just an online is one of the earlier com online comics. Yeah, web comic. Yeah, Fred Gallagher and what the hell was the other guy? Let me see. I got this book over here. And I never read that. Fred one. Gallagher and Red and Rodney Cott Caston. It uh, is now it's now primarily Fred Gallagher's baby. Uh, Rodney left the project quite early on. Hmm. Um. I never read that web comic really, but like. Clearly, the art gets better and better and better over the years. Yeah. And they did it for free for how long? A long time. They're still doing it for free, yeah? yeah. Like more than a decade. Yeah, they do it for free, and it's officially published by different – it's been published by, like, three different companies at this point. I oh, know they were with Dark Horse. In the hard copy, you mean? Yes, and then they moved on to a, cup, to a more well-known – I think they do with CMX now. I don't remember. Okay. Well, at least my most recent is CMX. So there, so Fred Gallagher put up a uh, Kickstarter to make uh, the uh, Mega Tokyo Visual Novel, which I'm so anxious to get because that's gonna be awesome. Because it's uh, 
going to be it's going to involve a lot of the original uh, story, but retold in an imaginative way as a novel. Yeah, I think he said he was going to use the Renpai engine, which Christine Love likes to use. And mm-hmm. a lot of other visual novel people he liked to use. Yeah, he's going to use Rentai. I have and he's going to have branching narrative and different characters, and it was pretty ambitious. Yeah. But that was due in February 2014, so that's almost two years overdue now as well. Yeah. Actually, no, one, it'll be, uh, it's a year and a half. He actually, and because he's already uh, trying, he, has, he has to keep up with his regular uh, comics, which is three, which was three days a week. Whoa, you Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Do it, Jared. <laughs> and he has other stuff that is, I believe he actually posted an update about uh, why he was busy. So mm-hmm. it was disappointing, but uh, yeah, that was update 43 from him. Just real life issues was the point, right? Mm-hmm. But this is not really somebody who's working as a company, but an individual. And he's somebody who's done so much. We were talking about this over breakfast. Mm-hmm. This is someone who's done some so much for people for free for so many years that. If you pay him for something that's taking a little longer, you kind of feel like even if the game never happened, you're still kind of getting your money's worth. Well, Although you own his books too. I own his books, and he already and he's launching a pencil test of the uh, first chapter. Oh, this. that's cool. Yeah, so we have something right now. It's nothing really official. It's just a pencil test to see how it's going. So we do have something. It's ongoing. It's slow, but he's really a one man uh, wrecking ball when it comes to this stuff. He doesn't really have a whole uh, team behind him like most manga cow would when they do their uh, work. He is more of a solo artist, and so he has to do. So he's responsible for a lot of his own stuff. Hmm. He it was two people when it was with when he was with Rodney Caston, but that's but Caston uh, left for his own reasons early on. Mm-hmm. And occasionally he would have uh, guest artists, for example, someone named Dom who had his own uh, oh yeah special role in the manga. Was that the stick? Art guy? Yeah, stick guy Dom. <laughs> yeah, that was cute. And then sometimes he would just, if he couldn't pull out a uh, whole strip, he would just draw straight up art that uh, somehow would that would actually just make it into the uh, into the comics themselves, is in either the back or the middle. It's just dividers. Really nice. He, he's a great artist. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing the game. And I've seen a couple of images of the game. It looks really nice. The backgrounds have really come a long way. Yeah, it's. I wonder why it's getting delayed so much. Because I mean, technologically, a visual novel is very easy to make. You hardly even need to be a programmer. True, but he's novel. drawing all of his stuff. Sure, and visual novels usually reuse a lot of art. They'll have like several different facial expressions. It's not like they have lip syncing or anything, or even characters walking. There's no animations really. True, usually. there is, but uh, he, like I said, he. I'm minimizing it maybe. Mm-hmm. Because he does, he's gonna have a whole. He has a whole lot of characters, and there's supposed to be like branch, as you said, branching narrative. Yeah. And there's and it's really and it's like three parts or something. Yeah, it all takes time. Mm-hmm. True enough. Yep. So that one is um, it's actually pretty good. It's well funded. It has uh, about five thousand backers. Oh, that's good. How did he do with his scroll down? Let's see. What what did he ask for, and what did he make? Oh, if you go to uh, of the three tabs there, campaign. Yeah, he, I believe. Oh, wow. Go down a bit? Holy shit. So he had a goal of $20,000, and he made about $300,000. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, he... That's a lot of pressure, too, for someone who has to delay it for personal reasons. Yeah. 
I know. Yeah, I realize that too. But this is also a guy who's been uh, who, sympathize. Mm -hmm, who has to uh, do public appearances for some of this stuff as well. Sure, and he has to keep up his regular webcomic too. So he's a busy guy, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that he does have a pencil test, that makes me optimi optim optimistic that we are going to get the full game very soon. I hope I do. I hope so. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the last game that both of us have backed is Grim Dawn. Yeah, Grim Dawn, which we've barely touched. It's an action RPG game made by the former members of Iron Lore Entertainment. Didn't they do Titan Quest? They made Titan Quest, that's right. Yeah, so I was like, this feels exactly like Titan Quest, except it's kind of steampunk and I got a gun. Yeah, it's the same engine as Titan Quest. They made some refinements and it's all new art and levels and stuff like that. There's new systems. We played it a little bit and we didn't really get into it just because... I was actually starting to like it. You, cute cute you're kicking my ass. You're doing all oh, right. to me. You know, you usually will quiet. We've off. talked about this before where whenever Bianca and I, almost every single time without fail, when Bianca and I play an action RPG game like Diablo or Torchlight or something like that, almost always her character somehow is way more powerful than mine. So I'm just kind of tagging along while she kills everything. And I can barely pick the loot up off the ground by the time she's killed the next group. So that's that's kind of disheartening sometimes. So that's exactly what happened. I started crying when we were playing the latest alpha build or uh, early access build, yeah. I should say. Because we had Dawn. been playing Titan Quest. He started crying. So we switched to Grim Dawn and he cried some more. And then we went to play <laughs> Torchlight 2. And guess what? He cried again. Yeah, I did cry again, didn't I? I think the only time you ever really cried is when we played Diablo. Yeah, Diablo 3, just luck of the draw, I, my character. Well, actually, I think Blizz I played more. I think I, I played more. Your yeah. character would have been fine, but I played more, so I was on a higher tier of difficulty. And True. But when we were, I'm just saying, when we actually were on the same difficulty, we were pretty, we were fairly well matched. But that was due to uh, Blizzard's uh, careful balancing of skills and looking over skills every few months and just making sure that all the classes were on equal footing because mm -hmm. it would it would be unfair to some players, you know, in PvE to have one class that's always overpowered and needs bash good content, but you don't want to play that class because you don't like, you know, the de you don't like a certain class and you would rather play the mage, but the mage feels so underpowered that you can't really do anything. Right. So, so that's what's cool about Blizzard. They're, they're uh, aggressive uh, balancing of their skills and then they're fearless rebalancing of skills after the fact. Mm -hmm. It's something that has to be done, even though people will complain because oh, they have people, to relearn their build. Uh, people will complain regardless. Like, your class is underpowered. My class is underpowered. They, they power it up. Someone else will complain. So nobody's ever happy. No, the only people that complain are the ones who found some, like, dead easy way to press. They look up on Google for the latest, uh, the latest build, and then they only have to press three buttons ever to beat everything on the highest difficulty, and then they cry when it changes because that's not the way the game was ever supposed to be played and they fixed the problem. Exactly, and I and I just play, and the way I play all, I've always played is what skills are the coolest looking and uh, seem to uh, kill the most guys for me. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk more about Diablo in a minute anyway because okay. that's one of my, what I played this week. Mm -hmm. But just to wrap this up anyway, um, I backed three projects that I, where I had no expectation of any return whatsoever. So one of those is a, 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 a campaign that just wrapped up for a comic called Chief O'Brien at Work, <laughs> which is a really funny comic about uh, Chief Miles O'Brien from Star Trek. D it's from uh, TNG. TNG, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he's in Deep Space Nine. He actually has more of a role than, than being a transporter chief and standing in the same fucking room every day. Yeah, he's a chief engineer in the next one. Yeah, yeah so O'Brien... Uh, instead of being a chief transporter. Yeah, that's right. There's a hilarious, very, like, nihilistic, pessimistic 
comic. It's mm-hmm. so, so funny about, like, how boring it must be and how useless you must feel when all you do is, like, push a button to transport people when they ask you. And they make fun of you and they be little. You're like, oh, I'll just do this somewhere else. Yeah. So it's a hilarious comic. So like, he's selling a, a book now. And although I did buy a, a comic uh, softcover, like, a book from Kate, Kate Beaton, Hark a Vagrant, a few weeks ago, and I kind of regret it. It's not because I don't love her work, because I do, but just because I'm trying not to buy any more physical media if I can, because we don't have enough room for it all. Um, so I wanted to give this guy a few bucks anyway. So I just gave him five bucks, which I think was less than any tier. Oh, no, I think it gets me, like, one digital comic email to me. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to thank the guy for his hard work. Another one was I uh, pledged $5 to Penny Arcade. They had an interesting idea where they did a Kickstarter and they said, if we make this much money, um, it will allow us to remove all the ads from the website for one year because we'll have made the same amount of money. That's a great idea. Which I means so. that people won't need their ad blockers and they're doing their fan base a favor because then people are saying, okay, we support you enough that we'll give this to you so you don't have to fund it with ads. That's right. And you can pay whatever you want, including nothing. So that's pretty damn cool and everybody benefits. So I, I gave them $5 for that. And as I recall, the reward tier for $5 was that their lead artist will will bark your name like a dog while waddling like a duck or something. <laughs> Maybe it was yelling at a duck or swearing at a duck. I don't know. That's something to do with, like, abusing a duck. So I had to pay for that. And the last one that I paid with no expectation of return was uh, – I, I don't know if this was unprecedented. It was a second Kickstarter by Laurie and Corey Cole for Hero U. Because they uh, ran out of money with the Kickstarter funds for their fir- uh, uh, while they were making their game and needed to do a second Kickstarter. So I think the first one I gave them like 20 bucks or something and then I threw them another $5 or so. Hopefully that'll be enough because they were in danger of mortgaging their house or something to finish their game. and uh, I, I, I didn't want them to have to do that. They, they, I've loved so many of their games that uh, I, I had to uh, Which game were they uh, working on before? Did you kickstart before this one? Before before Hero U, like, would you? What was the name of the first one that you kickstarted by them? Oh, so that what they did was it was this is the only Kickstarter that they've done. Although I think their names were mentioned in another Kickstarter, but they had to have it removed because they didn't. They were just using their name. Someone else was using their name for marketing or something. They didn't have much to do with it. I forget what that was. Uh, something Academy or something. I don't know. Mm. But Wizard Academy. I don't know. So Hero U was their initial Kickstarter. So they made they it was a successful Kickstarter. And they worked on developing the game, and it took, it was taking longer than they thought it would, and they ran out of money. Then they started a second Kickstarter to fund that same game again. And they just collected more funds from their biggest fans to help them complete the game as promised. Okay. And I think they added more reward tiers and stuff like that as well, but I didn't want any reward. I just wanted them to keep the money. So, and speaking of which, by the way, even no matter how much money you pledge to a Kickstarter, you're not obligated to take the highest reward tier that that affords you. By all means, like if uh, if there's like a $25 tier and a $50 tier, and you want to give them 50 bucks, but you don't care about the rewards for 50 bucks, then give the 50 bucks and then just choose the $25 tier. And then more of that money goes into the pockets of the developers instead of uh, paying for uh, rewards. Well, unless it's all digital stuff, in which case it doesn't come out of the pocket of the developer. I wish it was always more digital stuff. It's yeah, usually but, physical stuff, yeah, which like costs for, a lot more. Yeah, like, for example, the $25 tier that I did for, for um, the Orion Trail is all digital. 
Right. And so I pledged $25 and, I, and I'm getting a, a lot for it, but not but no physical media, which is great. It was the same with my Dreamfall chapters one yeah. for $50. I think I got a soundtrack. I got like a making of video and two novels. Most of that I haven't gotten yet, but presumably that'll be at the end. Oh, so I take that they're going to be like eBooks? Yeah, they'll be eBooks because that's all I want anyway. So just to recap those numbers, because this has taken a while, sorry. Um, 25 successfully pledged products. Five were unsuccessful and not collected. Uh, nine of those projects I have received successfully. 16 of them I have are, are, are past due, and most of those are by over a year. So take Kickstarter dates with a grain of salt, but just remember that the people you're contributing to are human and they're trying their best, so yeah. give them benefit of the doubt. And if there's something you want to see come to life, by all means, drop a few bucks on it. I mean, even if it doesn't, if it doesn't get uh, funded, you don't lose your money. And if it gets funded, well, there's a good chance you just might get something uh, pleasant in your mailbox one day. That's right. And that being said, never contribute to a Kickstarter with if you must have it, because there is a chance that they'll spend your money and nothing will come of it. Mm -hmm. So just know the risk. Okay, so I guess we'll move into what we played this week. Why don't we do that? How would you like to start? Let's see, eh? Uh, I guess this is... I really haven't played many games this week. I've actually been focused more on my nerdy stuff. But um, I've been playing World of Warcraft. Because why not? I'm paying 15 bucks a month for it. <laughs> this is getting my money. I want my money's worth. So I managed to get uh, a Hunter of Mine to level 100. And... This afforded me the opportunity to get uh, two toys from Brewfest. Ugh. Fucking toys cost me, what was it, I think... 200 dingus blossoms or something? Oh, I bought three toys, so it cost me 500 dingus blossoms, uh, Brewfest tokens. Uh-huh. I did it over two characters, and now I'm working on a horde tune to 100 because uh, I haven't seen the Frostfire Ridge content, and I'm curious to see what it's about. Oh, even the other zones. Yeah, fr they're... In the new expansion for Wild Latest Expansion, uh, Warlords of Draenor. Wad. Wad. <laughs> um, there's two different starting areas, depending on whether you're with the Alliance or the Horde faction. So the you have if you're if you you can only do the quests in one of those two zones, depending on your faction. So that's a nice way to give more content to people that level up characters in both factions. And the other areas too, uh, a lot of the quests are very unique different objectives and different story and different characters. So it's cool how much ridiculous amount of content they make. Beep. <laughs> all right, so that, is that all you've done in WoW? Uh, oh, and I refuse to do the friggin' uh, seasonal holiday stuff anymore because for the most part, they haven't changed that holiday stuff. Well, actually, like they will be changing the next two. Uh, yeah. Hallows Eve and uh, Merry mm. whatever. Winter's Day? Yeah, Winter's Day. Winter's Vale, Winter's Vale Feast. Yeah. They're changing both of them, and they've introduced decorations for your garrison, so I'm totally going to get into that. Yeah. Who cares? I love decorations. My garrison's so boring looking. Yeah. I'm going to have Halloween decorations up all year. Meh. 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 Let's see. What else have I played? Did I play anything interesting this week? Well, oh yeah, Adventure Capitalists finally updated, so that, oh, that's yeah. interesting again. And I've got to play Mars a bit. It has very happy, perky music and Mars dollars, which are like some weird-looking currency. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I've unlocked that, so I'm happy. Oh, and um, by the way, I should have mentioned before, Adventure Capitalist always reminds me now 
of my very dear friend Bram from high school who was on the podcast to talk about puzzle games once. And I think it was during that show that I mentioned Adventure Capitalist for the first time, and I got him hooked on it as well. So I just want to say hi to Bram and congratulations to him and his wife who just had a baby a couple of days ago, their first baby. So congrats, Bram. All the best to you guys. Sorry to spoil yeah, your so, uh, what did the... So you, you said he did something strange when he played that game, like did he know, oh like, yeah, angels or something. Oh yeah, Bram, he's totally playing that game like a douche. <laughs> <laughs> so, in Adventure Capitalist, the idea—it's this ridiculous thing that's barely a game. All you do is sort of a tycoon game, but you don't really. How do we describe this thing? It's like sort of a tycoon game and sort of a clicker game, except but you can't lose. You don't sell products and you don't click anything. <laughs> Well, you click a button to buy some more, but you really can't lose. Yeah, there's no way to lose. That's that's a good way to put it. It's a game where you basically want to accumulate as much money as fast as possible by, like, algorithmically determining what you should upgrade before something else. It's about build order, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one way that you can exponentially make more money is there's, like, a secondary currency. Your main currency is dollars, and there's secondary currency called angels. They're, like, angel investors. Um, you accumulate angel investors over time based on how many dollars you have and what your earning potential is. And what you've invested with those dollars. Right. And you can... Re- as, well as, um, as, as well as being able to use those dollars to uh, invest directly into uh, modifiers that increase your uh, output. Yeah, multipliers and stuff. So you accumulate those angel investors and the only way you can actually use those angel investors is by doing a reset so it cha- all of your money gets reset to zero and you have to repurchase all of your bonuses and multipliers and stuff but you start with a bunch of angels and each angel gives you 2% more money so that very very quickly becomes exponentially ridiculous where you have like like trillions of trillions of trillions i can't even pronounce the friggin numbers anymore. You have like 14 mega quadzillion angels or something, which is just a multiplier. So like your your lemonade stand, for example, you start off making like $1 per second. But once you have a whole bunch of angels, you end up making something like like 70 septillion uh, dollars per second before you've upgraded anything. Oh, Mars is so cool. I can't wait to unlock that. Yep. I just so, uh, loaded up the game to see what I have and Wow, my profits are soaring through the roof right now. Of course they are. That's what they do. <laughs> so, like I said, you have to... Um, oh, oh. so um, in addition to accumulating those uh, angel investors by resetting, you can also sacrifice angel investors. You spend them like a currency on other kinds of bonuses. And whenever you do a reset, those bonuses do not persist. So you have to spend those angel investors every time you do a reset. So what Bram is doing is he's accumulating these angels, but he's never spending any of them. He's never sacrificing them on those other multipliers and stuff. So as a result, that's just he's just doing that for fun because it's not like this game has an ending or anything. It has achievements. It has achievements, but you don't win this game, yeah. which is such an interesting concept, and it's amazing that we've all been so interested in it. I'll put this in the show notes. It's a free game with optional uh, payment if you want to. Yep, so we uh, we started actually playing it on um, our Android. We got it on originally off the Google Play Store, of all things. But it's since migrated to Steam, and Steam all of a sudden had a, uh, a rise in free-to-play games, with this being one of the earlier ones. Before mm-hmm. that, all they had is a bunch of uh, chintzy uh, MMOs. 
most of which were Korean and ridiculously uh, hard to play because after you reach a certain point, it was just grindy as shit. But everything, but all the friggin' characters looked the same because they were all a bunch of wispy little anime characters right. and it was just a bunch of Final Fantasy knockoffs. Pretty much. So, I mean, this is an incrementally very slow grindy game as well, but... But it's not Brand. something you sit there and watch. It's something that actually increases as when you're offline. So it's one of these games that will take care of itself when you're not playing it. Yes, that's right. I do enjoy that. It's like an idle game where when you close the game, it continues to play itself. Yep. So my point being anyway is that this is a game that you can't lose and there's no way to play it wrong except for Bram who is playing it wrong. <laughs> By not sacrificing any angels. That's right. So I'm, like, exponentially, astronomically, geometrically doing better than him in every conceivable way. Except for the fact that he's having a good time and that's all that really matters, even though he's playing it totally wrong. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, what else are you playing? Anything else? Well, I did play uh, Diablo 3. I started my seasonal uh, character. But, oh, right. And I was doing... I'm like, okay, whatever. This sucks. I'm just not going anywhere. I'm stagnant. I'm stuck at level 19. Did we already talk about this last week? I don't know. Did we play the... I don't think we talked about... This. I think we did. Okay. My power... Power leveling you? Oh, yeah. You power leveled me. Hey, you want power leveling me again? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm almost... I'm almost maximum level now. All right. You haven't really played it again this week, though, have you? Nope. Because <laughs> right. I was too busy playing uh, World of Warcraft. Because I've been getting my hunter up to acceptable levels and trying to get invincible. Damn chance bastard won't drop the fucking mount. Yeah, and I know. Invincible, for those of you who are wondering, is the ever, is one of the most elusive mounts in the game dropped, dropped by the Lich King. And it only dropped on 25-man heroic. Yeah, that's right. It's something you're only allowed to attempt to get once a week, and there's a 0.8% chance of obtaining it. But if you use two characters, you got a 1.6 chance of obtaining it since you increase your odds. <sighs> that's right. That's if you want to spend twice as much time. You can do it once per character that's eligible. So that's hella boring. Screw that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I want to look up to see how many friggin' times I've attempted this now. 24 times. Ooh, let's see what cake it has. So at a 0.8% chance, that means I have to try it, what, 120 times? Yeah. So I only need to do it 96 more times and I should get it. Fuck. And at once a week, that's like, if I do it every week for another almost two years, then I'll have it. Let's see, me. I've done that only 15 times. Oh, so you have to do it another another 105 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Blizzard, for the fun stuff. But he's the Mount of the Lich King, and if you've read the, the Arthas novel, then there's a whole story about his beloved horsey horse where... The Rise of the Lich King Yeah, by Christy Golden. Is that what it's called? Yep. I thought it was just called Arthas. Uh, let me see. I think it's called Arthas, and it might have a whole fucking... You know, fucking title after it. Oh, maybe. See. Where is that book? Uh, it's all about Arthas, who is overambitious with his poor little beloved horsey, and he accidentally Arthas breaks his horse's leg. See, there is a subtitle under that. <sighs> Good for you. No luring. <laughs> so Arthas, Arthas has to kill his beloved pony, and then when Arthas becomes evil and undead... Yeah, Shut up, you diggus. I'm telling a story. I tell the story. <laughs> and he resurrects his horse into a, some kind of a bone horse, and his horse's name is Invincible, which is ironic because he was responsible for the demise of his own horse. And in the game, 
That was in the novels, but in the game, you can fly into a certain zone and you can find the exhumed grave of his horse, Invincible, which is really creepy. Parasol Glade. Right, which is really creepy and a very, very cool touch. Anyway, that's in, that's more than enough WoW for one week, yeah? Yep. Is that all you played this week? Yeah, pretty much. All right. This week, all oh, my listeners are going to be so disappointed. Our listeners, I'm sorry, will be so disappointed in me for what I played this week. I haven't played anything retro this week. I haven't done any emulators or anything. All I played were relatively modern things, just because it was a hard week and I needed to flip off my brain. So we already talked about Diablo 3, but all that I will mention is that I finished the base game. I killed Diablo himself, and now I'm working on the expansion content which I like way less than the base game, at least in story mode. Yeah, it does have nice graphics. I like the graphics. I kind of like the way that you're starting, you go through uh, the rows of the street initially. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Guild Wars Factions in that it mostly pl- takes place in like an urban environment. Yeah, I do like that we go through the street. That's Fantasy nice. Fantasy urban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's and kind of the setting. House, houses, and uh, you find you have to find you find like the hidden. Ha- rooms in these houses, which is pretty neat, but aside from that, it's nothing really special. That's neat, yeah. But the zones are all very big, and the continue points are few and far between, so you might have to play for like a 90 minutes straight or something until you can stop and have it save your progress. That's exhausting. And I love the characters in the original Diablo. They're so well written, and some of them are so hilariously funny, and... They've rewritten a lot of the characters. I don't know if it's a different writer or what, but I the characters have no charm at all. Everything is completely joyless in its tone, which is kind of grating on my nerves. So um, anyway, that's that's the cosmetic stuff about Diablo Three. What I will mention is that it was becoming easy for me. Um, there's a lot of different skill levels that you can choose, which is cool, because when Diablo Three first came out, you had to play it on normal difficulty and finish the game. Then you could restart it on hard. And if you finish it on hard, then you could do it on expert. And then there were a whole bunch of uh, different levels above that as well. Now it allows you to pretty much change the difficulty level at will, whether you finish the game or not, which is great, because it was just stupidly easy on the normal difficulty. So I tried playing it two difficulty levels up, which is expert, until my gear was good enough that it wasn't much of a challenge. And then I notched it up to master, which is a pretty good challenge until I realized that it actually wasn't that good of a challenge. I guess because I had done some stuff with my maximum level character, my um, witch hunter, what am I called? Witch doctor, who's like a beast master sort of a class. I love the beast master classes. I had done some like end game farming with that character, which is quite a lot of fun in Diablo. Um, and gotten up to torment number five, which is the second highest difficulty level. So, um, After I notched up my character that I was leveling to master, I figured, okay, I'll try notching it up again. So I went to Torment 1, which I didn't even know you could go to while you were leveling up. And that's a really good challenge. I've been dying a whole bunch. Uh, Some of the fights have been not too difficult, but the enemies have had like a stupidly humongous amount of hit points, and that's not as much fun. But for the most part, it's a really good challenge, and I'm fighting for my life, and it's a lot more exciting. It's just taking longer. Maybe that's why it's taking me 90 minutes to get to a continue point in the expansion. Uh, so I'm almost at max level, as opposed to... Because when you play on a higher difficulty level, you also get more experience points and more money. It's multiplied by oh my gosh. 800 times or something. No kidding. It's, and, it's, and it's a huge difference when you... Especially when you're being uh, powered level by somebody. 
you can just watch the the uh, your experience bar roll over like an odometer going at like an odometer going from uh, one tick to the next on a highway. I'm gonna find. Oh, here we go. Oh, this oh, is awesome. I'm gonna find is. a video for you guys. I'll put it in the show notes. Even if you don't play Diablo, this is just a really impressive thing because you can guess what sort of a challenge it is. I think it will probably take me, I don't know, maybe 10 hours or something to get from level 1 to 70 on this character. And that's really fast because of the high difficulty level I'm playing on and how high the multipliers are. Um, also, I'm going to put a video in the show notes called Diablo 3 levels 1 to 70 in 60 seconds. Whoopsie. Where a guy who is a level 1 character joins up in a game with all with his friends who are all high-level characters in the highest difficulty level, and the multipliers are so high that it just spooges experience all over the place, and he levels up to the maximum level in one minute. So that's pretty darn cool. It's nice that you have the option to power-level people in that game. I've had people power-level me. They have me join their high-level game, and I just kind of sit around and collect experience points while doing nothing. And I find that really boring. Some people play games just to get to the highest level, but I, for the most part, I just play them to have fun, and I didn't find that fun at all. But at least like um, Oblivion, and I guess like, no, more, mostly like Oblivion, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, the game kind of scales to whatever level you are, so you never out-level an area. You can be on the first level as level one, then somebody power levels you to level 70, and when you go back to the first level to resume your own game, everyone will be level appropriate for you, and the challenge is always just right. That's very, very good game design by Yeah, Blizzard. it's basically appropriate to whatever difficulty you choose, mm -hmm. which is quite nice. So if, you're, uh, if you've been playing on Master and you get to a boss and he decides, Oh, thank you for coming. I could use a living mop. You can uh, kick it down to Expert and all of a sudden... He's just a little pussycat you can pet on the head. Yeah, that's a really nice thing. Although you do have to, like, exit your game and come back in again if you want to raise your difficulty level. It always allows you to lower your difficulty level. So if you're really frustrated and somebody's totally wiping the floor with you, you can just knock the difficulty down until you kill that boss and then raise it again later. <laughs> I love that. I love when a game has enough variability and enough kind of confidence in itself that it allows you to do that so that you don't get stuck playing a game because of your, either your ability or some poor choices you made or just because you don't have the patience. Exactly. So it, so it makes it playable by uh, people in ranging experience. So you need to, so you still need to at least know how to move and do some basic stuff, but you don't need to be the best player ever. You just have to know the very basics of what it takes to play, mm -hmm. which is move and shoot and don't stand in the fire. That's right. It's only when you get to the higher levels of Diablo 3 that you have to know which buttons you're pressing. And it's one of those games, very similar to Guild Wars, where you have a very finite number of buttons you can press. I think you have six buttons you can press in Diablo, as opposed to WoW, which has... How many buttons can you press on your interface in WoW? Like 40, 50? Uh, however many keys you... Uh, however many bars you have and hotkeys you have, you can press that. Yeah. So... That's true, yeah. You can, you can have like 100 buttons to press, literally, in WoW, if you want to. But in Diablo, the most you can have is six which is similar to Guild Wars, where the most you could have is eight. You have a library of like a hundred different skills or so, but you can only use six or eight or whatever at a time. So that's really fun, because you have to explore the synergies between your complementary skills. And the, all of that experimentation uh, results in some really wacky play styles and allows you to kind of rediscover who your character is and what they're good at, and kind of keeps you familiar with your abilities. 
And if you're totally stuck on something, you just try another strategy because there's no penalty or currency or a fin finite number of times that you can change what skills you're using. So I love that a lot. So Diablo 3. If you can find it on sale, if you enjoyed the other Diablos, or if you want to have one of those turn-off-your-brain kind of moments, I really recommend the game. The only caveat is that even for single-player, you do have to be connected to the Internet at all times. Yeah, but that's been a lot more... That's been very stable and, and, and since uh, Blizz fixed the problem when it first came up. But, yeah. so that it's means... It's better. It's not perfect, but it's better than yeah. ever. So basically, it just relies on your connection being stable. Well, it relies on Blizzard, too. This week when I was playing for a little while, I was having two-second... Two latency. Mm -hmm. So I just had to alt-tab and read some news for five minutes, and it came back and it was better. But that's bullshit. It's ridiculous to think of the concept of latency, of network latency in a single-player game. I still resent that. Yeah, but for the most part, it's strange. very much worth the money. It's mm -hmm. a good game. And you, you, I'm sure it'll be on sale again, probably by the winter. So, um, uh, oh, oh, and the other thing that I played... Oh, listeners, you're going to be so disappointed in me. I don't know what put me in... Oh, what put me in the mood to play... The Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare series these past couple of weeks is, like I said, hard week at work. Didn't want to think about stuff. Just wanted to run around smashing stuff. So I played Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1, 2, and 3 these past couple of weeks. Um, Modern Warfare 1, which is the fourth Call of Duty game, that's a terrific game. With a lot, It has lots of variety. It has the new setting, whereas the earlier ones uh, were in World War II. This is the first one in the modern day. So they kept the balance really good. Uh, the storytelling is awesome. The graphics are unbelievable. There's a lot of different scenarios you get to be in. There's different weapons that you get to use and different vehicles. And different it's, asses you get to sniff. You get to sniff asses? Well, you have to crawl on the ground in uh, Pripyat. Oh, right. That was in... Was that Pripyat? I don't remember. Yeah, it that is. is. That's okay. in the first one. Okay. And that's when uh, Captain Price has his flashback and he's all triggered and that's the... And that's all indignant about how he had to sniff his commander's ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is a cool thing. Not the ass sniffing, but it's cool how some of the missions are super bombastic and running and ducking behind cover. This mission that Bianca's mentioning, I don't remember what it was called now, but it's a sniping mission where you have to stay under the radar the whole time and not let anyone see you. And, and you wear your lovely ghillie suit. Yeah, the ghillie suit, which is cool. You're just like a walking, you're like a grassy Chewbacca sort of, <laughs> where you can't be seen in the grass. And there's a level where you're in this... Uh, military, I don't know if it's a drone or a helicopter or something, very high altitude, and all you see is black and white uh, infrared heat signatures of uh, enemies and friends, and so you can kill vast numbers of people uh, with one single attack, and uh, the person on the radio with you is like absolutely dead calm, no matter what they say to you, or no matter what kind of carnage or loss of life you've just caused. This person just has no emotion about it at all, which is really unsettling. And from what I heard, it's very accurate in terms of what it's like to do that kind of a job. So Modern Warfare 1 is phenomenally good. I love it. Um, Modern Warfare 2, it's almost as good. It adds a few new mechanics and uh, I think that was the first one that got rid of leaning left and right. Yeah, and, but, and it continues the story of the first one. Yeah, these are all serial stories, so it starts with one and it ends with three. So two Although is, they do stand on their own a bit. If No, not really. Two, I think two, uh, two starts right where one ends, and yeah. three starts right where two ends, if I'm not mistaken. That's true, they do, but I'm just saying, one, by, I'm just saying the first one by itself can easily uh, stand on its own feet, two feet. Oh, a sleepy bird. And I think there's a wing shoved into the cage. I think so, too. What a silly. Oh, 
Oh, what a cutie pie. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry we're ogling our birdies. Mm -hmm. Well, so, we can't help it. They're adorable. And another thing we like about these Call of Duty games is that they have these little short co-op scenarios that we've talked about on the co-op episode. Yep, those are fun. Yeah, Bianca likes being in the helicopter while I have to <laughs> I have to hoof it around the <laughs> the town. And I can I might have bombed him once or twice. Yes, you might have bombed me once or twice. She loved blowing up cars that I'm hiding behind. <laughs> and then there's Modern Warfare 3, which adds nothing. It adds nothing, and it adds, what it does add is a lot more unskippable cutscene sort of things where you have absolutely no control and no agency, and you're just following somebody, and you then you have to use something, and you follow someone some more. All the games, to a small degree, are... are uh, are uh, guilty of this to some degree, but two more than one and three more than both of them. The, the way that it robs you of agency. That's the best thing about the first two Call of Duty games is that you never you never lose control. Maybe you're penned up in an area waiting for somebody to open a door every now and then. Or you're waiting, or you got to listen to uh, your sergeant give some winded speech about you fighting for the glory of the motherland. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of glory. Yeah. Yeah, so Modern Warfare 1 was for sure the best of the series, and it was really the last, it was the really, it was the last excellent Call of Duty game. The other ones, 2 is good, and 3 is exhausting and stupid, I think. But I just finished it because I had nothing better to do this week. Uh, that's that. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Shall we, uh, shall we proceed to the topic? Hardware. Hardware. Oh, and by the way, as always, we love feedback from our listeners, and if you have anything to say about your favorite computer or technology hardware or about your Kickstarter campaigns that you backed or anything whatsoever that is just nerdy and fun, by all means, please do share it with us. We've got our contact information on the website, and we'll mention it at the end of the show. Hardware. So why don't you start us off, since I don't remember a couple of these things at the top. Okay, I well, think at least the first one I don't. The second one I totally do. Okay. Pardon me. You remember the second one? Uh, yeah. Okay. I had one. You did? Oh, I forgot. Okay. So, yeah. Um, we started this conversation with uh, Tomer Gabel. So, hello again, Tomer. Um, that was a really fun episode, and I love his stories. I, I kept chuckling to myself long after the fact, thinking about his, com his friend whose computer would periodically explode. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Great, great stories. I can't wait to have him back on the show if he'll if he'll stand the sight of us again. Um, but that was mostly uh, kind of a recollection of his uh, history of owning computers. Rather was, than the hardware that he liked. Yeah, which was fantastic all the same. And we loved it. And we got uh, a link to his website as well, his old uh, website on archive.org. So now, um, so we, we decided to let him do the talking and we kept our list to ourselves. So now we're going to mention the list of our favorite hardware. Oh, and before we go into this, why don't we talk about how you and I met? Haven't we done that before? Okay, well, we've probably done that before. Well, let's just summarize it, because it has to do with hardware, I think. That sounded a lot dirtier than it was. <laughs> anyway, I was I, we, we both uh, went to college together. Um, I was one or two years uh, ahead of, of, of you. Yeah, because I started in a different program. And yeah, you started later. Up. Yeah, you started later than me. So I started actually started that program a semester later. I would have been a lot. I would have been a semester closer to you if I had started directly in hardware. Oh, okay. Um, and well, anyway, one of the classes I became a, a, a lab monitor slash teacher assistant, and one of the I, I was the, the the lab monitor for a couple of Bianca's classes. 
and it, it took me no time at all to scope out this cute chicken. <laughs> and this otherwise, uh, this class that was otherwise full of like uh, sausage fest. Yeah, sausage fest. Let's just put it that way. It's probably the, the the least rude way of me putting say, saying what I was about to say. Sausage fest. So boy, was I lucky. I really beat the odds <laughs> in that regard. No, that's not the only reason I'm lucky, of course, because one of the one of the courses that I was the lab monitor in for her was uh, Hardware 101, a first semester class about computer hardware, where you had to learn what each component of a computer does and to replace and build computers. Yep, and we were given just old shabby machines that we had to take apart and put back together. So this is, uh, you know, the super old computers with nice sharp edges, lots of potential to cut and bleed everywhere. Uh-huh, I'm sure I did that more than once in that class. Fortunately, I didn't cut and bleed in that class when it came to putting computers together. However, I have cut and bled when I have been fixing other people's computers. Me too. No, my own, actually. I don't think I ever cut myself on someone else's computer, just on my own. More than once. Thank goodness they manufacture computers now so that they're not quite so sharp. They used to have a lot of sharp edges, and they were really heavy, and they took a lot of force to push things in. So good riddance to those days. Yeah. Now I'm always worried about not being gentle enough. Oh, and I want to bitch about hardware, too, before we start. I uh, am using, have I already bitched about this, my water cooler? No, I don't think you have. All right. So my computer, with my new, relatively new i7 CPU, I got it when? January? Yep. Unbelievably fast CPU. I love a CPU to bits, but it runs pretty hot. With the stock Intel cooler, I think it was idling at like 45 degrees Celsius or so, and the peaks were like 80 degrees which is really hot. I don't have my hardware monitor installed now. Yeah. Um, and it was so bad that a few games, not all, but a few games would actually uh, cause my uh, computer to do like a hard restart because it passed the safe temperature oh, threshold. Like, like Max Payne 3? I forget if that was one of them, but it could very well have been. That was one of the first games I played on my new computer just because I wanted to see how much better it looked, and boy, does it look good. Oh, it does look really nice. Um so I decided, okay, I need some kind of a superior cooling solution. If a, if a, a, a fan-based uh, heatsink isn't going to cut it, then I guess I need to invest in my first water cooling solution. So I bought this Corsair water cooler. And water coolers are way easier to install now than they've ever been. They, you don't have to refill a reservoir or keep tabs on any of that. It's just a self-contained unit. So it's compatible with both Intel and AMD CPUs on in different uh, configurations with different like socket uh, socket sizes. So it comes with this adjustable plate sort of a thing, like a mount that you uh, adjust into a certain configuration depending on which motherboard and architecture and socket you have. So we figured that stuff out. That wasn't too hard. It took some dexterity and you had to kind of gingerly, carefully uh, manage uh, the way that you were putting things on. You had to pad some things with foam and with other things to reduce the tension but keep the pressure. So it took a light touch. So we got the CPU part on not without too much trouble. The really hard part was the, the uh, integrated fan and pump that vents the heat off, uh, off of the CPU through the liquid tubing out to the back of your case. So you have to mount that on the back of your chassis of your computer with uh, four screws. It's 120 millimeter, so it's the same size, uh, it's the same like size in area as a 120 millimeter fan, but it's a lot deeper, and because it has this liquid pump inside of it, it's a lot heavier. So 
keeping this heavy thing exactly in the right place, that was really hard. It was, I would say it's the most difficult piece of hardware I've ever installed, and it took us about two hours or maybe a little bit less. Mainly because we didn't, we couldn't figure out the bracket that went on the back. Maybe that was it. We looked it up on YouTube. We were looking at the forums and stuff for advice because whenever you screw with your CPU, there's really zero margin for error. It's like a $350 CPU. And if it overheats or if you if you smack it or something, then that's a huge investment that you've lost. Yeah. So thankfully, we didn't blow anything. And it keeps it very cool, as a matter of fact. It does its job very well. However, it's really, really loud. And in fact, I would say it's the loudest cooler I've ever had, including air coolers. And that shouldn't be. I figured. I thought liquid cooling would be silent, or at the very least, very, very quiet. And this is quite a loud cooler. That was very disheartening after all that effort to install the damn thing. But in its defense, and I guess in our defense too for correctly installing it, my idle temperatures went down from about 45 degrees to about 30, and the peak temperatures went down from about 80 degrees to about 60. So that's a significant advantage in terms of the cooling. But the noise is just like unbearable. At least so, you don't have to sleep in the same room as it. It's true, but when we're playing a game and it's not noisy, or if we want to watch a movie or something and it's not very loud, then you really hear the cooler, and it's very annoying. It's not acceptable. So I'm just about ready to replace this thing. So I emailed Corsair, and over the course of about two weeks or so, they basically told me, okay, we think there's actually something defective with your cooler, by the way that you're describing it. Why don't you send us in, send it to us for an RMA, and we'll replace it for you. Which is, it sounds cool, but... It sucks when you're in Canada and their only uh, RMA center is in the USA because you have to pay to ship it there, which is usually about $25, and they will pay to ship it back to you. But because it comes over the border, there's usually cash on delivery for uh, border fees for customs because they have to inspect the thing and certify it and verify the value and all of that stuff. So that can cost another 25 or $30, which is almost as much as we paid to buy a brand new one. So I could either buy a new one at the store and get one tomorrow, like today, or I could mail it to them and wait like a month and then get it back and do and who knows what. not having any sort of cooling solution. Yeah. Well, and you, which means either I don't turn my computer on, which is pretty damn unlikely knowing me, folks. <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> as you know me, I'm not going to go about living my life with no computer. I tell you what. I mean, yeah. What is it? The Black Ages? <laughs> the Black Ages. I don't know. The is Dark Ages? <laughs> <laughs> That's how dark it was. It makes the Dark Ages... Seem like a friggin' spotlight. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was talking about earlier when I messed up my idioms. Oh, I love that. I think that's adorable. <laughs> it worked in your favor this time. So I was talking to my very good friend, Shannon. Hi, Shannon. He doesn't listen to this podcast. I need to get him on the podcast. He's my buddy from college. He's super smart with computer stuff. And he's pretty much, if I can't answer something, he's my go-to guy. He's a great guy. Um so what Shannon told me was that he has also had bad experiences with water coolers. He's only used those fully integrated water coolers that are one piece. And in his experience, when he went back to an air cooler, he found that the third party like aftermarket air coolers that you can buy, like heat sink for your CPU, tend to be much, much better than the ones that are bundled with your CPU. And so his recommendation was for me to just spend $20 instead of $70 or $80 on just a, an air cooler, which maybe I'll just do. I think I will. Because even if it's insufficient, at least it's only 20 bucks, I guess. And you can always shove another fan in there. I could. 
I've seen some really interesting fans, now, uh, fan coolers, air coolers, now that I've been looking into it. On my last PC, was I using, I think I might have actually been using the stock heatsink that came with it for a good four years or so, and it did the job, because that i7 that I had didn't run as hot as this current i7. Um, then when I replaced it, I looked. At, I thought that the uh, water coolers, which I considered at the time as well, were too expensive, so I just found an air cooler for 20 bucks, and it had a really big... Uh, heat sink on it. It had the tallest, weirdest looking heat sink oh, I've I ever seen. Oh, I remember this thing. It was monstrous. I And so when I dis properly dispose of our used hardware at the city dump, which is what you're supposed to do when you're disposing of hardware that you need to recycle and you're not giving it secondhand to somebody else. Thank you, dear. Um, it was. It couldn't fit in the box, so I had to carry it outside the box. I couldn't <laughs> even fit in a static bag. Oh, that's pretty funny. It was a big heat sink. It was the kind of heat sink, usually a heat sink will... You'll like put a heatsink flat on top of your CPU, and then there'll be a fan on top of that that will pull the air outward. Oh, birdies are munching. Oh, ridiculous creature. They are. So this heatsink was different. It was a very tall heatsink, and instead of having a fan clipped onto the top of it, you could clip one or even two fans to the side of it. And they were the 120 millimeter fans, which supposedly use about the same amount of electricity as the smaller, like 84 or whatever, millimeter fans. But because they're larger, they push more air and they can turn more slowly, which means that they are much, much quieter. So whenever possible, you should try to opt for a larger fan. I didn't know that they pushed enough air to uh, be a CPU cooler, though. And that did a really good job. My only concern was that because it was like 120 millimeters tall, um, and I have a, a tower case that stands up so the motherboard is on its side. That meant I had this 120 millimeter heatsink that was weighing downward. I was worried it would like bend my motherboard or start to fall off and lose contact with the CPU or something like that. But that never happened in the more than a year that I used it. So I'm considering something like that again for my new i7. But what I've seen now, there are these amazingly ridiculous heatsinks that are actually two of those 100-millimeter um, heat sinks uh, on one individual unit with, like, heat pipes that kind of route the heat from your CPU to the heat sinks. And you can put as many as three or even four 120-millimeter fans on your CPU. So that's a little bananas. No kidding. I'm not going to quite do that. I'll try one of the... I, I think I'm probably going to try one of these 120-millimeter CPU coolers again. I'll do it maybe next week or something. Because the noise is crappy, but at least this water cooler is doing its job. Yeah, and to me, although the noise is an issue, it, it seems that for something to be defective, it shouldn't be working at all. But, I mean, if it's cooling, it doesn't seem to be defective. It seems that it's just a, it's just not manufactured entirely perfectly. Well, it's working suboptimally. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not that happy with it. It's just way too loud. I would like to have my PC be as close to silent as possible. We bought, we paid an extra $20 or so for the these um, MSI uh, GTX 970 video cards because I read that they were the quietest. Yeah. Oh, and do, I better have, oh, how do I not, okay, I mentioned it. So I don't know how I don't have this video card as one of my favorite hard hardwares. Well, let's, let's talk about our video card, shall we? Okay, our current one. Mm -hmm. So we have the MSI, four, I think it's called the 4G Gaming um, NVIDIA GTX 970 video card, which has 4 gigabytes of memory, 
Although there are some scandals saying that it's like three and a half gigabytes of fast memory and another half gigabyte of slow memory. So if you have a super high resolution monitor or you use like three monitors, then it might slow down your performance because it accesses that high bit of memory. But we only have one monitor each and I don't think we come anywhere close to two gigabytes of the RAM, never mind four gigabytes. So we're in the clear for now. Um, the really cool thing about this uh, video card it's by far the fastest, most incredible video card I've ever had. It was about 400 bucks or something, which is pretty expensive for a it video is, card. It is, but uh, we had some of uh, money in our coin jar saved up. I think we had $500 saved, mm -hmm. so we were able to get away paying 300 for the rest of it out That's of our right. non-saved stuff. Plus, we bought it at Hanukkah slash Christmas time, so <laughs> Yay. our pockets were bulging at the time. So that was our expenditure. It was it was many. It was at least half a decade, or more than half a decade, since we had a proper upgrade. Anyway, so exactly. The time had come. It was one of those things where you look around, you realize that your computer is a sluggish, sluggish piece of garbage, and that a snail would uh, do a better job. That's right. So we. Uh, both got upgrades, and we both stuck with uh, our usual brands. I stuck with AMD, and he stayed with Intel. Oh, yeah, that's right, for our CPUs. Yeah, but for but we have the same... Uh, same NVIDIA video card. Yep. So this MSI one in particular I chose. I read, I, I researched very, very carefully when I'm going to spend this much money. And all the reviews said that not only was this close to the highest performing of all the different variants of the GTX 970, but it was also by far the quietest. It had um, a bigger fan and a bigger heatsink than any of the other video cards. And also it had this intelligent feature where because the heatsink was so big and so effective and had so much surface area via the heat dissipating fins, it does not even turn the fan on unless the video card gets above 60 degrees Celsius. So for most of the time, it's absolutely silent until you're playing an intensive game, and then the large fan starts to, to spin, which has some sound, but very, very little. It's almost silent. So it's the second quietest video card I've ever had, and I'll talk about the quietest one I ever had. I haven't been disappointed. We've, I've gotten great performance out of this card. I've had no issues. It hasn't crashed. The only thing that has made my computer crash is just playing a game where, where my CPU overheated. And that was Max Payne 3 for me. Mm -hmm. And I have a, a cooling system I need to install. <laughs> I was able to get away the rest of summer without mm -hmm. the overheating by simply not playing the game. But I'm thinking, that's stupid. I want to play this game. I really need to install the hardware. It's sitting on the floor in a box and in a bag with a receipt. <laughs> yeah, the friggin' water cooler. No, we don't really want it. I know, but I guess I'll install it because maybe yours was just defective and mine's a different brand. It's possible. Yeah, I got the one made for this case. Oh, yeah? Yeah, got a cool master. Oh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's for it's for this case. I True, mean, as, but uh, as you might guess, cooler master primarily makes coolers. <laughs> it just so happens that our case we have a high airflow HAF case made by Cooler Master, and it's really sexy. It's pretty sexy, or it would be if you didn't have bird shit all over yours. <laughs> bird shit all over mine. I just Still have bird feathers. You look at the back. That's because you always get me to unplug and plug things in again, and birds love perching on cables and just just pooping. their con here. Yeah, there's, I, I didn't take the time to identify which bird had shot all over the back of your computer. Well, I know for a fact it was the con here. It was a baby bird. Well, good. Then I know for a fact that you can touch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, maybe there's not much more to say about this this video card. Nope. love this video card so, so, so much. And it's a great investment, of uh, for at least for our price range. I'm sure, sure that if we bought the best one, it would have been even better. But, you know, 
ka-ching money. That's right. It's, the one, the the card that I replaced was a GTX 470. I think I had a card 470 as well, or some. Or a, oh yeah, you you had one from Shannon. He oh, loaned yeah. you a fancier one, the 480. Ooh, so GTX 470, <laughs> right? That was that was the very top of the line. 4, 480 was the very top of the line. 470 was the next highest. Just like there is the 980, which is the top of the line, and we have the 970, which is the second to the top. Mm-hmm. Or at least it was when we bought it. Yeah. So that's what we like to do. The top of the line one is a marginal increase in performance for about double the price. But you get uh, more years of use out of it, and games will uh, will uh, resist eating your computer for breakfast for a few years until you come to a point where you just can't crank the details anymore. Yeah, that's right. So our last one lasted us about six years, which is three generations. There was a 570 and the 670. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was five generations. Then there was a seven seventy, yep. and no, I don't think there was an eight seventy. I think it went from seven seventy to nine seventy. Yeah, so it was course. four generations that it lasted us. So that was a good investment. So we, in general, try to buy something really good for a lot of money, and then we let it last a long, long time, and then we replace it later on. Yeah. It saves us from having to upgrade sooner. Yeah, I've been trying to encourage my dad to do this when. When he got his tax return, I told him we could have upgraded his computer, got him some better parts. Mm-hmm. Did we? No. He has an i5. He has a good computer. Uh, yeah, but he has his crappy video card. Oh, does he? Yeah, because he has a shitty power supply oh. and a crappy case. Mm-hmm. Well, there anyway, you go. so I don't know. Do you want to talk about? Uh, let's move on and talk about sound cards. Okay. I mean, uh, there's the one we're both using right now, which is a Sound Blaster Z. Oh, yeah, sorry. Z. No, it's a friggin' Z. Okay, good. Stupid American. Yeah, Sound Blaster Z. I don't know if I call this one my favorite sound card of all time or but anything, am, but it's a good but one. But I'm quite happy with it. It has a nice sound. It has good. It has a good way of... It has actually nice inbuilt features for me as somebody who, who needs uh, to modify the volumes of my uh, different of different media, depending on what I'm watching, just so I can hear it more clearly. Yeah, that's right. The software has like, it, it uh, has a compressor to boost the whispers or to make different, uh, the loudest sound softer yeah. or the softest and sound And to boost louder. treble and to make it easier to uh, bring dialogue forward in movies and shows over background noise and music, which I love a lot. And my computer is primarily used during dinner for entertainment, so we watch Star Trek, right? So, for example, watching Star Trek, original series. Yeah, we're on season two. Boy, is that a good series. Yeah, it is much better than I was than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm watching it now. I think I was too stu- stupid and immature to enjoy it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Just because it was old. Well, we're watching some like HD version of it now, which is still uh, like the four by three, like non widescreen aspect ratio. Yeah. But it's really sharp and looks really really good. It doesn't look dated. The special effects look incredible. I think. Yeah, they do. Although, the, although some of the special effects, or at least the costumes, are still kind of real cheesy. Yeah, the Goran, oh. the lizard man, that was real hokey. <laughs> yeah, that was super hokey. And then uh, the Klingons didn't look like Klingons at all. No, that's right. They look like the Moors. <laughs> <laughs> I have expected them to be uh, pushing for the caliphate and to take over Spain. Yeah, way to go, way to go history girl. <laughs> you stumped the, the other co-host. <laughs> Well, the one that I have on my list here specifically is the Sound Blaster 1.0, which was my very first Sound Blaster. And if I have to, I have to say that was my favorite sound card of all time. And it's not the best sound card I ever had. I mean, technically, I'm sure it's the worst sound card I ever had. 
but it was the biggest upgrade I ever had because it upgraded from having nothing, from just having my PC speaker, which goes beep, beep. Beep. I've told the story before, but I will quickly summarize the story of how I was exposed first to sound cards. Beep. Beep. <laughs> That's when I was at the Calgary City Science Fair as a uh, elementary school participant with my own... Uh, I, I went to that uh, event three times with three different science fair projects. What, potatoes conducting electricity in three different ways? I didn't do the potatoes, although I did do a conductivity one. I had an electromagnetic one, which had conductivity, and I got to make uh, diagrams of circuits and stuff, and that was cool. I had one about optical illusions, and... Oh, what was my last one? I don't remember the last one, but I did three of them anyway. No volcano? No volcano. No, I did real science. Real science, whatever, like it hadn't been done before. <laughs> I don't think the volcano is science, is it? But you uh, replicated somebody else's results, you know, for the whole hypothesis and uh, theory stuff. I don't remember. You know, scientific method. I didn't do anything new anyway, but yes, I did the scientific method and all that. Um, so one year that I was there, I was wandering around and looking at other people's booths, and there's this one guy who had a, a science fair project about, like, blood flow or something like that, but he was completely ignoring what was supposed to be going on and was playing Wing Commander instead. It was the first time I had ever seen Wing Commander, and that absolutely blew my mind because it looked like a movie to me. It looked unbelievably incredible. I think I had seen the movie The Last Starfighter, and it looked to me like the mo he was playing the movie interactively, which was incredible. That is incredible. But was, what was also equally incredible was that he had an ad-lib sound card which allowed the game to play music and like fm synthesized sound effects mm. it didn't do digital sound effects but it did fm sound effects and that might have been the only time i ever encountered an adlib card i know ad anatoly and other people really love the sound of that fm uh, of that fm card the opl2 yamaha chip adlib card Whereas I think the Sound Blaster had an OPL3 chip, which was a little inferior, I think. But the Sound Blaster was able to also do digital sound, which would be like a wave file where you could actually hear somebody talking or hear a recorded sound. So I begged my... I, I, I forget if I was with my parents at the time, but I begged my dad for a new sound card. And I think that was when he had decided that it had been too long since we had replaced our computer entirely. So we bought a new computer shortly thereafter with the Sound Blaster card. And that basically, on that day, I was basically reborn. Mm -hmm. So that was a good experience. So the Sound Blaster one, it could only play four digital sounds at the same time, four channel polyphony is what that's called. And it was only mono, it could not do stereo. Yeah. So everything was played in the center channel, no left and right. Yeah, I didn't actually have a sound card until uh, I inherited my first sound card from you and put it into my into one of my newer, into one of my, uh, Mid mid uh, computers. Oh right, my Audigy two, I think yes. that really sexy black card. Oh, that was beautiful. I love that. That was a beautiful card. Because well, I'd only had onboard sound before then. Right, and which is still constitutes like a sound chip or something. I know. It's, I'm just saying. I didn't. I didn't have a sound card. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really. Have, so I didn't ever had a chance to truly really appreciate having uh, a sound card because it means that the audio quality goes up because it's an independent uh, piece of hardware. And it's not part of a whole where, you know, everything has to uh, meet a certain minimum standard. It's it's like going to a buffet instead of going to a specialty restaurant. Sure, right. the food's okay at the buffet, but, you know, if you go, if you want, the, you know, really good Chinese, you go to the ethnic place. Mm -hmm. 
But if you want Chinese where you can get um, French desserts afterwards, you go to the buffet. <laughs> right. So that's a good analogy, especially because I love talking about food. Mm-hmm. And that just made me hungry, so we'll go move away from that. Let's move away from that. I don't have much more to say about the Sound Blaster. Um, 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 um. I want to skip to another one, actually, next. Okay. Oh, some, I want to do this one. You want to do Gravis? Yeah, Gravis. Okay, you do Gravis, but then I want to talk about this other one because okay. I had a story. Gravis joystick and gamepad. I didn't have a Y splitter cable for this because there was only one computer in my house at the time. But I remember when we got the we got the gamepad just shortly after we got our Pentium One Sixty Six. A Y splitter cable actually allowed you to plug in two gamepads into one computer. Okay. Well, we didn't have one either. Yeah. Okay. I rarely used it. Yeah. And I remember, I didn't request it at the time, but um, it was my dad who decided to buy it. Because he bought the, he bought the uh, MicroProse Grand Prix. Go ahead, I'm just finding some pictures. Um, He, uh, to uh, play on this computer. And turns out, I wound up playing it more than he did. (laughs) But he did occasionally play, and... As as you can imagine, the Gravis came with the uh, thumb joystick. When the first when we had the uh, joystick on the top, and that thing just screwed in. And once you screwed in, there's a good chance that it would just snap off. <laughs> mm-hmm. So ours snapped off, of course. Yep, mine too. Both of mine. Mm-hmm. But the gamepad was still good, and you could still race around the track. And that game was still friggin' awesome. Microprose Grand Prix. I think it was the second one. Mm-hmm. It would have been whatever was out in 96 or 97. Okay. Because I got my computer in 19... Yeah, no, I think I got it in 97, actually. Hmm. Yeah, because I got it... My dad bought it with inheritance money. Hmm. And the rest of it went into investments, which he's still investing today and collecting the uh, returns on. Mm-hmm. Not on the game or the or on the gamepad, but that gamepad was pretty awesome. The other reason I liked it is it had the same feel as my uh, Super Nintendo controller, so it just felt completely natural, especially when the joystick was broken off. It was very similar to the Super Nintendo because it was kind of rounded like that and mm-hmm. kind of like a wide paddle sort of a shape, and yeah. it had the four buttons on the front in the same kind of diamond configuration. Yeah. It just didn't have starter select and it didn't have the L and R buttons. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, my favorite... You know, speaking of Nintendo for a moment, I actually had a really awesome third-party controller because when you have cats, they have this insatiable urge to chew through cables. Mm-hmm. I had two Super Nintendo ca- controllers because my my SNES came with two at the time. My cat, one of my cats, I forget which one, obviously the stupider one, bit chewed through my cable. So I so I had a non-functioning Nintendo controller. Yeah, didn't one of your cats electrocute itself by chewing the power cable? Oh yeah, that was. I can tell that story after this. Okay. So, my dad, being the awesome guy he is, replaced it with this third-party controller, and it was like it gave me the ability to cheat in Mortal Kombat. If you really want, if you could, if I couldn't get past Goro. There was a little switch on the top that would flip to the right and it would turn on turbo mode and mm. I could just and I could defeat Goro really quickly because it increased the speed of my attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was an awesome piece of hardware. I actually and the thing is, this is you know how sometimes, you know, you have a friend over and there's two controllers, your third party and the original. 
what do you do? You usually hand the third party controller to your friend. In this case, I was handing, I would always hand the original controller to whoever was visiting because my third party controller was actually awesome. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and so, because, like I said, that's why I love the Gravis as well. So I had this awesome Gravis one for my uh, computer, which I used to play Grand Prix. And I had, the, like, it's super do some awesome. Like steroid mega charged counterpart for the SNES. Mm. I hated that third party one. I, pl- I played on that thing. It's like a big, cheap, bulky piece of shit. I hate it. I know you hate it. That's why I'm like, okay, here, have the original. And I continued to love oh, this good. one. Although it was cool. It didn't have like independent switches for each of the buttons that you could choose turbo. Yeah. It's like a left and right flippity switch. Yes. That is very cool. But I, it feels like a cheap knockoff controller to me. It did, but the buttons had a, were actually much more elevated, which was nice for me. I like the elevated mm. uh, diamond, the, the elevated buttons, which were in the same configuration and had the same color as the Gravis gamepad. Ah. Which so and so it actually looked closer to the Gravis gamepad, except for that middle one, and and the and the uh, starting all the buttons were elevated and looked like the Gravis gamepad. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. As Brian mentioned, I did have a stupid cat who electrocuted himself when he bit through a cable. I wasn't there, so this is a sec- this is uh, based on what my dad told me when he was work when he was uh, there. He was working from home. It was a hot day. He had our um, I mean, should I don't know how to describe it. It was like a mini industrial size floor fan. It was about waist. It came almost to my waist, and it was a huge square. It was sea breeze. It was pretty awesome. It did a great job of cooling our our house in Ottawa. Anyways, we had two cats, a male and a female. The male cat, beautiful and really good looking, was kind of really stupid. And when I say kind of really stupid, I mean, this cat was so stupid. I'm surprised it knew where the food dish was. Mm -hmm. So, this cat was also notorious for chewing through cables. I mean, the female did as well, but this one did to a greater extent. And so, apparently one day, the cat decides... Mmm, delicious fan cable. Let's chew that. So, <laughs> the cat apparently starts chewing through the fan cable. My dad was unaware of this. And so, he's and suddenly hears this loud pop and sees smoke. And the cat's there. The, tail, it's, the cat's paralyzed in shock. The cat was fine, but, but <laughs> it didn't actually get hurt. But it uh, managed to shock itself. And its eyes were wide, and the tail was all bushy, and there was this big, there was a stream of smoke coming out from where it had bitten and killed the fan. That's pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is why, oh yeah, which reminds me, that's why all of my computer cables, until I uh, moved into my apartment, into our current place, were wrapped in duct tape. All my computer cables had to be wrapped in duct tape. Mm, so it was true-proof? Yes. Every, every, if you had a cable, it didn't matter what it was for. You wrapped it in duct tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to explain this to Brian because he never had any pets. It's like, why is your controller covered in duct tape? The cat was chewing it. Right. <laughs> and now you have some small issues with your mouse, which sometimes doesn't respond. and You have to unplug it and plug it back in from birds perching on the USB. <laughs> it's from uh, our con. You're using it to help pull herself up. Right. And it's, there's no... It, the cable itself is fine, but she just unplugs it. Right. That's pretty stupid. And I'm sure that the uh, top part of it is uh, in, in could be in better condition, seeing as how it was also used as a chew thing for Maxi. Right. 
speaking of my mouse, this was actually one of the things we had on the list. I love this mouse. Yeah, go for it. When I first saw this, I'm like, it was not expensive, and I needed to replace my game mouse, and I didn't like the Corsair that uh, was... Um, That's on my list for my favorite mouse? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like it, and I needed a... Uh, and, I want, and I was replacing the Rat 7 that he had previously rejected. Uh-huh. I mean... Oh, what a piece of shit. It was good. It was good for a while. A very short while. It was terrific. Yeah. It's an interesting... Conceptually, the mouse is a good is, is, an, is an interesting idea, and I quite like the concept. I'm going to put this in the show notes. It's a gorgeous, terrifying-looking spaceship of a mouse. It's terrifying, but what I liked was that it was conceptually ergonomic and that you could rearrange the pieces... Just to fit nicely in your hand. And so I had raised a couple of things and made it kind of potato-esque in its shape. Yeah, it comes with an, like an Allen key built into it. And you can turn and, various screws to yeah, change the, the angles. Yeah, and the is stuck in the ass of it. So I would, when I had this, I uh, used to twirl all the key. Yeah, that would tick me off too. <laughs> so it was basically like an, a, a morphing adjustable mouse where you can make it taller or wider or change the angle or replace some of the panels on it. Mm -hmm. That's why I bought it. And it was the highest rated mouse that PC Gamer Magazine ever reviewed. But the two thumb buttons for back and forward were so flimsy and shitty that they both broke within like a couple of months. And they didn't just break, but they weren't clicky anymore. So you would kind of mush it inward and sometimes it wouldn't register at all. And sometimes it would register like four times. And they were dicks about it too. Who was it that did Matt? Oh, this was um, Mad Cats. Oh, a yeah. Canadian company too, I think. They were they were big jerks about it at first. They wouldn't accept it for a refund. They said that it's... It's not broken if the, the buttons respond whatsoever, never mind the fact that you press it once and it works four times. So finally, I, like, bitched about them on Twitter, and some people with much many more follow, followers than me bitched, like, retweeted my <laughs> bitching. And then I uh, gave the tweet to, uh, to back to Madcats, and I said, look at this, like, 4,000 people have seen my complaint about this now. Wouldn't, do you want me to update my tweets to say, oh, they're, they're great and they made this right? <laughs> and so they sent me another mouse. They're like, don't even bother but sending your old one back. We'll just send you a new one. <laughs> so they, they sent me a brand new mouse. And in like 40 days or something, the, the same thumb buttons got all mushy and broken again. It was just such garbage. And it was like a $100 mouse, the most expensive mouse I've ever owned. Mm -hmm. So don't buy Mad Cat's mice. Their game pads are very good, but their mice and probably all their computer stuff they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. But boy, does it look sexy. It is sexy. Which meant, which meant that I had to get a new mouse. And so I got my... And so eventually, at a store, after looking at all the gaming mice, I, I landed on what we have lovingly dubbed the potato. Mm -hmm. It's the ASIO G8 gaming mouse. It's just it's a nice black one with some uh, kind of sexy uh, going racing stripes. It's got uh, purple lights, adjustable buttons, and... Uh, so it's got the track buttons on the right side, back and forward on the thumb, and even a uh, volume throttle below the right thumb. And I actually, using the software, reconfigured my volume throttle to be um, page up and page down. So oh, I can right. so when I'm on the so when I'm playing Sims, I can go up I can go up and down a level in my house. And oh, what a beautiful piece of hardware that is. And mm -hmm. if I'm soon if I'm online, I can just easily scroll through a page without having to scroll down. Oh, and, and another feature of the mouse is that it's absolutely delicious for birds. <laughs> oh yeah, apparently Maxie loves this mouse and has uh, staked the claim out on it several times. She bites it and chews it all the time. She loves this mouse. She particularly loved the mouse wheel. Yeah, the mouse wheel. She would. 
Oh, and what would happen? You're like, what did you map to your mouse wheel that she would always change? Oh, that's right. <laughs> we already told this story, but I'm going to repeat it because just because it uses a funny word that out of context sounds horrible. Yeah. So Bianca is playing uh, a Euro Truck Simulator. And <laughs> he's oh, like, what the hell does it matter? Why won't my truck go over 30 miles an hour? I'm on the damn highway and everybody's <laughs> passing me. Turns out. I heard, and the thing is, I had a game controller in my hand, so I wasn't even using my mouse or keyboard for this. Yeah, that's right. So the controller should let you change the speed of your truck, no problem. It like simulates the gas pedals, right? Exactly. And the brake. Unfortunately, I had, <laughs> and at the same time, Maxi was crawling up my mouse and was biting the mouse wheel. Which is mapped by default to, do you remember? The retarder. The retarder. <laughs> <laughs> so Maxi... <laughs> use your special skills to retard a truck. <laughs> and that's the story. <laughs> so I had to go and demap this and restart, and finally my truck was able to actually go more than uh, 30 kilometers downhill. That's right, you detarded it. <laughs> so so now I got this awesome mouse, and of course, in addition to that, it also has pretty lights on top. So, And despite the fact that it was not particularly expensive, it's got it's got it's a great mouse, and it's got good weights in it. Oh yeah, that's right. I took the weights out, which gi and it gives me the right amount of traction. And I keep the weights if I actually want to put them back. I keep them in, in my little brick, which used to be attached to uh, a mouse I had before the Rat Seven, which was the Sidewinder Three, which is another great mouse. That one didn't have uh, weights, did it? Yours? I thought only mine did. Um, I forget which one, but I eventually did have weights in mine. Yeah, I, no, think I think one of them had no weights and one didn't. I think yours had no weights and mine had weights, and we didn't realize they were different because we bought yours long after mine, and they were already discontinued, unfortunately. Yeah, so but I but I kept the brick from that because it's it's a great way. The brick that came with those mice meant that my computer that the mouse cable wouldn't wouldn't get stuck under a pile of garbage because. If you're playing, if you use your computer a lot, you're just you have a tendency to throw shit behind your monitor. I mean, why not? You have a flat screen. You don't have that big CRT uh, hunk of garbage taking up room. Hey, I did have weights. I just didn't have weights on the first one. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, so I would throw stuff behind it. My cable would get caught. I'd have no slack. But now because I have um, the brick. I've 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 kept the brick over uh, multiple mice, and it just and I have permanent snack on my mouse cable. Yeah, this was a brilliant idea by the brick. By brick, she means that this Microsoft Sidewinder mouse came with. It was like this heavy box, and you could open the box, and that's where it stored these uh, exchangeable weights, where you could make your your mouse weigh more or less. And it also had, oh, what mine had and yours didn't, I think, was the replaceable feet. Yeah. Mine, she had the, the Sidewinder 3 mouse. I had the Sidewinder 5 mouse. So in my with my mouse, there were three different sets of four feet, <laughs> all made of different materials. Because you don't know, because you want a different pair of shoes every day. <laughs> well, it's right. It's because, uh, it's because it depends on the sort of mouse pad you had. You would want a... I, I don't remember how it worked exactly. You just whatever worked for you, that's what you would use. It would but increase or decrease the sensitivity of your mouse, increasing or decreasing the drag. Yeah, the drag, the friction. That's right. So for for you might depending on your play style, if you had like a vinyl mouse pad, or if you had like a plastic mouse pad, uh, well, a Teflon. That's what they use. It was really slippery. Then maybe you like having slippery feet, or maybe you want stickier feet so that you don't actually shove your mouse right off your table, which I had done before. Or if you have a cloth. Uh, mouse pad. Maybe you wanted the slipperier feet to create more, uh, to, to create less drag, and have it move around more easily. 
Boy, I, I love this Sidewinder mouse. I'm putting uh, pictures of these uh, hardware wherever possible in the show notes. But yeah, it allowed you to put in these 5 and 10 gram weights, as many or as few as you wanted to put in, which would also uh, affect how much friction and drag there was. And so that actually made a really big difference. I really like that. It was a very well-manufactured mouse. It was the mouse wheel that wore out. It became less clicky and you couldn't which is okay for a document if you're scrolling around or something, but if you're playing a shooter and you want to just adjust the mouse wheel by one notch to change to the next weapon, when the mouse wheel starts to wear out and you're accidentally choosing the wrong weapon, that's when the mouse wheel is really no good for you anymore. Yeah, especially if if you're not getting the clickies. But otherwise, the mouse was absolutely pristine, and Microsoft in general makes extremely high-quality, excellent hardware. Yeah, and I love the uh, thumb buttons on those mice. They were nice, big, round buttons that you couldn't possibly miss. Yeah, that's right. It was a little strange. It had two thumb buttons, and they were round and stuck out, and they were made of metal, so they felt really good, and they were like right on kind of the ball of your thumb, so they were exactly where you needed them to be. You could feel which was which, and you could press one or the other very easily. The odd thing was that although they were back and forward buttons, they had one on top of the other instead of one in front of the other. Mm -hmm. So that took a little bit of getting used to, and I think you actually mapped them in, in the inverse than I did. Yeah, so that way they actually made sense because back was bottom and forward was top. And so I mapped back to the top and forward to the bottom. Yeah, I did them the opposite way. I thought forward is like up and back is down. <laughs> so different strokes for different folks. Yep. Wrong. You're right. wrong. You're very wrong. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic mouse. I was very sad. They discontinued it because they weren't very popular, which is such a shame because they deserve the popularity. Between yeah, the replaceable were... feet and the weights, yeah. it, was, it felt like a real pro mouse. Yeah, and it just had a nice... Uh, feel to it when you moved it but well, going back to, to the to the mouse I'm using now the ASIO ASIO yeah ASIO one thing that I wasn't expecting when I got this was that I needed to get a new mouse pad because <laughs> I had a vinyl mouse pad before because all my other mice used vinyl but so I put this on vinyl and all of a sudden my mouse would not cooperate I'm like my mouse is broken oh yeah it wouldn't read it wouldn't actually the laser wouldn't track yeah so I had to get my because laser is very sensitive I had to actually get a cloth pad which I hadn't had in ages or a video card actually came with uh, mouse pads we still haven't gotten to those have we no those are still in the boxes and so we both have uh, the steel steel series mouse pads that's right They, they made the vinyl ones that we bought too yeah. Shit, one of my friggin' Steel Series mouse vinyl pads was three, five bucks. What a crap hole that was. It was yeah. a great mouse pad. It was just way too big, and that's all they sold were huge ones. Yeah. And these ones, the cloth ones, are also very delicious for birds, or at least if they're uh, little bratty baby birds who like to bite everything. <laughs> yes. Um, so then you were going to talk about a video card and NVIDIA, I believe? Well, actually, since we're on the topic, I want to talk about the mouse that I'm using now. Oh, the Corsair. Okay. Yeah, the 12, your, your 12 button potato. Yeah, my 12 button potato, or whatever it is. How many buttons are on this thing? So, I love this mouse. This is, what the hell am I using? The Corsair M90 uh, mouse. Pardon me, Corsair M90. MMO mouse is what they call it. Um, Corsair makes a few different mice. And I should say, by the way, that although I was frustrated with Corsair's uh, water cooler. They've made excellent hardware that I've relied on in many different formats over many, many years, and I like the company overall. Mm-hmm. And this mouse of theirs is the best mouse I've ever used, which is weird because Corsair tends to make like cooling and cases and other 
like non-human interface devices. They make um, pretty good keyboards as well. Yeah, we uh, we did try one of those keyboards when we were looking for a new mechanical one. Neither one of us wound up using it, so we gave it uh, to someone who desperately needed a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Some homeless guy. <laughs> no, we gave it to your dad. Yeah. So this mouse that I'm using is the Corsair M90 MMO mouse. Um, I was in the market for another mouse. Uh, I forget what I was replacing at the time. But um, I had read, I forget where I read about this, either in PC Gamer Magazine or on the web. And I tried a few different mice. I must have tried four or five different mice. I would buy something, take it home, not like it, and bring it back for a refund. Thank you, Future Shop. Rest in peace. <laughs> not, not really. Screw off, Future Shop. You're too expensive. Too um, expensive, but at least they uh, at least they match prices. Match with, prices and their uh, reasonable stores. Yep, and their staff weren't a bunch of unreasonable twats. No, their staff were actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Just their their prices were shit. Um, so I tried several mice and I didn't really like them. It was the same story with uh, keyboards too, but I'll get to that later. So um, eventually I tried this Corsair mouse. And what's unique about this mouse, and it really, really is unique, is in addition to left and right, left and right mouse buttons on the top and the mouse wheel, it has well, it has a feature that many other laser mice have, which is like an up and down button, which allow you to toggle the sensitivity of the mouse. And through the software, you can change what each of those different levels uh, sensitivity is exactly in terms of dots per inch. But the really unique thing is the thumb buttons. This thing has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine thumb buttons. And I have seen other MMO mice before. For example, I can't think of the name of it as a matter of fact. It might even be another Corsair mouse, but there are some that have like a grid of nine buttons and they're all like in a, a, a square three by three. Oh, you're thinking of like uh, the WoW mouse, for example. The WoW mouse is an example of that. Yeah, Blizzard makes a, a World of Warcraft mouse. And uh, isn't it, um, oh, Razor? I, I was thinking of Razor and I corrected myself, but you might be right. Maybe it is Razor. Yeah, because they do primarily MMO mice. They do mice anyway, a lot of them. They do human interface devices anyway. So this Corsair mouse on the thumb buttons, it reminds me a little bit of the old Nintendo GameCube gamepads, where every button is a different shape. So you can actually really easily, and it's in a very conspicuous position, so you can very easily tell just by feeling your thumb around a little bit exactly which button you're pressing. And I, 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 speaking of the GameCube, I really loved how when it, when it would tell you to press a certain button on screen, it would also like show you the shape of that button on screen. So there was like no mistaking exactly what you should be pressing. That was very cool user experience design, which I appreciated. This Corsair mouse is a little bit similar. These nine thumb buttons or so, everyone is in a completely different shape. And it's kind of in like a semicircle that goes around your thumb. So you only have to move your thumb like no more than about half an inch to get to the farthest away button. Your thumb is always right next to a button that you want to press. Mm -hmm. so that is a nice feature. It is. And you either get it or you don't. Because it's a shitload of buttons and most games you don't really care about it. And you can remap those buttons using the software if you want to. Yeah. To... Uh, to other mouse, like to mouse specific buttons or to keyboard commands or to combinations of keys or even to macros, which is like a series of keyboard keys that you press in, suc in succession. So you could basically like program it to do Mortal Kombat uh, special moves or Street, Street Fighter 2 special moves by pressing a button on your mouse, which is kind of neat. Um, 
So most games don't take advantage of that. And for first-person shooters and everything, it's a great mouse. It's, I forget, about 6,400 uh, dots per inch or something, laser mouse, which is way more sensitive than I'll ever need, but it does a good job of tracking and all that. It was like $65, which is moderate price for a gaming mouse. A lot of gaming mice are 80 or 90 or or $100 or even more. Hell, my gaming mouse was, uh, I think, 40 Yours was very cheap, which was really impressive, it especially was cheap, for the life you get. It's been really reliable. I love it. It just... Mm. It yeah, you already talked about them. your mouse. Sorry. <laughs> my turn. Um, potato. So, potato. <laughs> so, um, the, where this mouse really, really shines is in uh, MMOs, and particularly World of Warcraft, which, like I said before, you can have literally 100 or more commands in that game. Um, one of the ways that most people mitigate the issue of there being so many buttons is that they'll have a modifier on their keyboard. So for example, pressing the one key will do a spell, but pressing Alt-1 will do a different spell, or Control-1 will do a different spell, or Shift-1 will do a different spell. And that's a way that you can kind of get four different commands out of a single key by having either Alt or Control or Shift, or you, you can even have more permutations than that. You can have Control-Shift-1 is yet another command, or Control-Alt-Shift-1 is yet another command. So that even adds to the complexity. Um, what I did was, instead of having to hold down too many buttons at once, which is difficult to do in the heat of battle, I started mapping a few different commands to my mouse. So I have um, two buttons for potions. One, one will consume a health potion, and one will consume a mana potion. Um, I have one button that I always dedicate to my interrupt skills, where no matter what class I am, if there's a skill that will interrupt spellcasting or uh, the actions of another player, I'll always map it to that button. I have um, buttons that I would map to uh, that are a little bit further out of the way, that are a further reach that I won't press by accident. I had those mapped to cooldown skills that if you use it once, you can't use it again for another five or ten minutes. So I keep that out of the way, but I know I, when it's time to press it, I know I'm pressing the right button. So it's absolutely ideal for MMOs. Yeah. And if the mouse, if the all of those thumb buttons were in any other configuration, I would always be pressing the wrong buttons. But because every button is its own completely different shape from every other button, and it's obviously in a different area, um, like in a specific area, I know that I'm moving my thumb up or down or back, or I'm pressing in with the tip of my thumb or with the ball of my thumb. It's just a wonderful, impeccably designed mouse that's really, really impressive. I can see other handy uses for this as well. Maybe you'd like, if you're a, if you are a, a Twitch streamer, maybe you want to map uh, the furthest away button to starting or stopping the screaming or the recording of your footage. Or if you're a journalist, maybe you want to map a button to taking a screenshot so that you don't have to reach your hands away. I know the PC Gamer... I forget who it was. It might have been Dan Stapleton, formerly of PC Gamer, said that he had uh, a uh, foot throttle, like a, a gas pedal, on his computer, and he would map that to taking a screenshot so that he wouldn't have to take his fingers off the controls and could just do it without even thinking. He would be tapping his foot a whole bunch whenever something exciting happened, which is a very interesting concept. That is an interesting concept. I... It's a great idea. I never. That was a very important comment for me to hear, and that's... That's what influences me to try to map new controls in yep. new ways. Yep. Although what you were saying about the individual buttons and the key binding is actually one of, is something for everyone, especially beginners, to know about MMOs is uh, just good key binding practices. Yeah, that's right. There's, there might be an overwhelming number of keys, but 
you learn them one by one, yeah. and if you map them somewhere that makes sense or according to how frequently you need it, then that helps to that helps you play a little bit more effectively. Yeah, and then, then you always put, and then when you play a different class, you always put the same skill, the same skill types, and those same slots, and you never have to think about what's there. Right. So that's a good thing about that, Miles. But it also has a drawback for people with different hand sizes. For example, your hand is perfect for that, but I never, I found that I didn't like it because of uh, my thumb. Oh, it's a bit of a large mouse. Yeah. So that can be a turnoff for some people. Mm -hmm. So if you have small hands, it can be a bit of a turnoff. But yeah. your, your thumb's like the right size to hit those buttons on. Yeah, that's right. I think the primary ways that people grab their mouse is either they rest their palm on it or they kind of push it with their fingers without resting anything on it. So I tend... Uh, it depends for me, actually. I guess it depends on the kind of game, kind of game it is. Mm-hmm. I, I somewhat rest my hand on my mouse, but I also kind of keep the ball of my hand, the back of my hand, on the table, and then I push it with my fingers predominantly. It depends on how much finesse I'm trying to use. Um, Can we talk about your... Uh, that's my mouse. Do you want to take one? Let's see. You want to talk about this one? Ooh, the one keyboard I haven't spilled anything on. Oh, Okay. <laughs> In fact, let's talk about this then instead. Ah, the one I've spilled how many drinks? So you are the <laughs> certified keyboard murderer. So you're the assassin of hard drives. Not as many key, not as many hard drives as keyboard. Yeah, I am the assassin of hard drives. As a matter of fact, we might be tied. Yeah, I think we are. I think we're tied. Mm -hmm. But we both were big, big fans of this friggin' juice magnet of a. <laughs> of a keyboard. <laughs> Bianca murdered so many of these keyboards, I would get so annoyed at her until it made no more sense. I just had no more annoyance left to give. <laughs> My goodness. So no the keyboard more. that we kept murdering, that we loved to bits, was? The, the Microsoft Natural Keyboard. It's an ergonomic keyboard where uh, the keys were divided in half, so half were positioned for the right hand, half were positioned for the left hand. And the idea was that you were only supposed to type letters with the one hand on one side and the letters on the other, so you have so it actually required some coordination and for you to have some typing skills because of the way the split was done. Yeah, that's right. It's an ergonomic keyboard, so the idea is that keyboards that are just kind of straight, they strain your wrists because you have to kind of turn your hands outward in order for them to be facing with the keys. Whereas the ergonomic keyboard splits them in half and keeps it so that your wrists are a little bit rotated and that your fingers are kind of pointing inward. And so that so they're in more to... of a natural position, so it follows the line. If you were just to rest your hands on in front of your keyboard straight with your elbows against your with your elbows against your ribcage and your hands straight in front without turning, you find that your there's a straight line from your elbow up to your wrist. And that's what the ergonomic keyboard is supposed to uh, help maintain. That's right. So ideally, if your hands are resting on your keyboard, your wrists should not be should not be turned at all. They should not be. Yeah, otherwise that creates carpal tunnel syndrome and can hurt you over time. Um, this, although it was not mechanical, this keyboard, it had the rubber domes underneath. And it also had the uh, unfortunate uh, crippling uh, disadvantage of not having... It wasn't an anti-ghosting keyboard, which means that you could only hold down a few keys at a time before it started ignoring keys. That got annoying to me with The Binding of Isaac, because you couldn't, like, move up and left and shoot at the same time. That was really annoying. 
So later on, we bought the anti-ghosting keyboards. Uh, but one amazing benefit of the Microsoft Natural Keyboard was, similar to my mouse, um, every single key was a slightly different shape and size and angle. Um, so that, like, because the your keys were split into two for the most part, the left-hand keys and the right-hand keys, and in the very middle, it was kind of like a dome. It was like a, con a concave mm -hmm. dome, sort of, where... If it were, instead of keys, if it, if it were just like a flat surface, it would be kind of like two bowls that would collect water, you might say. Mm -hmm. And boy, did our keyboards collect water. <laughs> but anyway, not because of that shape. It's only because of a certain clumsy person who killed so many <laughs> keyboards. So well, many. it's not my fault the Starbucks cups kept spilling over. I'm pretty damn sure it was all your fault every time without exception. Pretty sure. <laughs> that being said, I think you did. You think you did? I think knock, I did one. You did. You knocked one onto my keyboard. It wasn't all my. Head. I think I knocked it on my own. Actually, I don't know. Maybe it was on yours. Um, they are quite large keyboards because of the unconventional shape. They take up a lot of space, not only like side to side and back to front, especially because they had a built-in wrist rest, but also up and down because they were sort of curved and tilted and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was quite a large keyboard, so it leaves less table space for things like Starbucks cups and is a little Dinner more plates. accident prone. Hmm? Dinner plates and everything else. Dinner plates, that's yeah. right. But so, because because every key was a slightly different shape, it was amazing for MMOs especially, where you have to be pre you. It's ideal if you can press a key without having to look at your keyboard to, to uh, let off the exact spell or skill that you want to at the time you need to. Um, like for instance, uh, for the left hand, you had the tilde key and then numbers one through six and six was at the end of its row. And then for the right hand, it started at the number seven. So if you had to use skill number six, it was really, really easy to reach to because it was at the end of its row. And because there were only, uh, those six, uh, number keys, it was really, really easy to tell exactly which of those keys you were pressing. Mm -hmm. Plus because they were all slightly different sh shapes and sizes. Which means that, you know, most, most keyboards, you could pull off the keycaps and put them on in a different order, and they would all fit perfectly. But on the Microsoft Natural keyboard, it only fits in that one place. So you could really tell just by touching, just by feeling, exactly which key you were touching. So it was incredibly comfortable and wonderful to use while you were typing out an essay or an email or something, but equally good for gaming. And I really, really miss that now that we don't use those keyboards anymore, solely because they don't have a mechanical version with anti-ghosting. Mm -hmm. Anything else we have to say about the Microsoft Natural Keyboard? Mm. I use one at work, by the way. Yeah. I love I it. would say that for actually a work environment, they're fantastic. Because I've had I've been in jobs where I needed to use a keyboard a lot. And where the keyboard was straight on, I found that it was very annoying to type. And it just made things... It made, it, made, it made a lot less more sense. It made, made no sense than the... Uh, than the uh, natural keyboard, which I found I could actually start typing faster because you uh, realize what keys are where and uh, you actually develop excellent coordination and everything just starts to fall into place. Like you don't feel like you lose anything. In fact, going back to a straight on keyboard kind of felt like I lost something for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that we've replaced our keyboards with uh, mechanical ones, why don't we talk about that one now? Okay. I really do miss the ergonomics, but it's still a comfortable keyboard. It's still, Yeah, this is a very good keyboard. So the keyboard we use now is the Logitech G710 Plus keyboard. Mm -hmm. It was fucking expensive. 
really they were like 130 expensive. bucks or something like that. We tried many keyboards and returned them all because we hated them. We tried a Corsair keyboard, which is which what which is what we gave my dad, which he loves. Which I'm and so I'm glad that it is getting some love and use out of it. That's right, and it was oh, that was the M something seventy five or something like yeah. that. It was a pretty good keyboard. Uh, it was a mechanical keyboard, and it used Cherry MX key switches, which, uh, as far as I know, are the best company for key switches. Mm -hmm. But it used Cherry MX Red switches. Uh, the red switches. Oh, I need to find for the show notes this amazing uh, oh, diagram yeah. that I have. They're like. Oh, I love that gifts. diagram. It's fantastic. It's a great way of demonstrating how the switches work. And, and then when you actually feel the switch, when you feel the keys, you can actually tell the kind of switch it is. That's right. So it's specifically the Cherry MX switches. Uh, I'll find that and put it in the show notes because this was unbelievably helpful for me when I was trying to decide what sort of a, what sort of a mechanical keyboard I wanted. I've got to find this. It's the most awesome thing. So it basically summarizes... Oh, here we go. Fantastic. It kind of shows you what the key press action is of each of those switches. Cherry MX diagrams. So the red switches... Yeah. The red switches have... With their, with their action, you, like, press the key down, and there's no... Uh, resistance and there's no click. It just goes from the top of the very top of not being pressed down to the very bottom. The problem I had with that was that when I would rest my fingers on the keys, sometimes I would accidentally pull down a key and start walking in a certain direction or holding down a key and write a whole bunch of letter F's <laughs> and not realize it until it was too late. It like got me to walk into uh, the lava pit or something in a lot of games. So that kind of a thing. It really ticked me off. That was kind of inexcusable. I did not like that at all. And different people have different preferences in terms of their key switches, and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever is best for you. The other thing I didn't like about that Corsair keyboard was that while most of the keys were mechanical, not all of them Some were. Mushy. The function keys were not mechanical, and it had macro keys that were not mechanical. Those were just rubber dome or... Um, uh, are they silicone? Dome I think memory? they might be silicone dome. Yeah. Um, so the in MMOs in particular, you press the function keys a lot. Those are usually mapped to different skills, and when they feel different than the other keys, it really it really feels unpleasant. So for the price of the keyboard, and they did that to save money, but it was still a ninety dollar keyboard or something. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Returned it. One of them we gave to Bianca's dad. Yeah, and he loves it, and I'm I'm glad he loves it because I actually when I was I was uh, doing a tidy up, just to get uh, some just to make some space and move some of our clutter out of the way, I found the keyboard sitting there, in pristine condition, dust free. I'm like, oh, well, I know someone who's been uh, needing a keyboard, and I gave it to him. <laughs> it's a great keyboard for typing and stuff, just not good for MMOs. Exactly. Um, so we did try many different keyboards. One of the keyboards we tried was the Microsoft Sidewinder keyboard because I love Microsoft's hardware and I love their Sidewinder, now discontinued again, uh, line of gaming products. I did not like their keyboard at all. And in fact, it actually hurt my hands. So that was a no-no. No Finally, we bit the bullet and tried, after doing some research, we learned that the Logitech G710 Plus keyboard at this exorbitant price, it had nothing but mechanical keys. 
except for a few little macro keys that are out of the way and you very rarely press, which is acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, it also used the Cherry MX Brown switches, which are similar to... I forget, black maybe? It's similar to another kind of a key switch that they make. Oh, blue. It's blue, which is the clickiest, the clickiest, most tactile one with the best resistance. Brown is very similar, except it's a lot quieter. So that worked for me. And it's also a lot cheaper, just with the way that it's manufactured, than the blue. It's a less, less mechanically complicated. So I gave it a try, and there's this very definite intermediate click between starting to push down the key to it reaching the bottom. There's like a, a click right in the middle with a little bit of resistance. So if you've accidentally pressed the key, you know it immediately. That was absolutely just right for me. So we bit the bullet and we bought this, these incredibly stupidly expensive keyboards. And they lasted us how long now? Like two years? Two or three years, yep. Two and or three years. Because, and uh, Because they're cat keys, which pop up very easily, I've been e able to clean the keyboards. And so we can, we've been able to successfully degunk them and keep them uh, in good condition. Yeah, thank you very much, Bianca, for doing that for me. She pulled all the keys off my keyboard and washed them all individually and shook up my keyboard. I might ask you to do that for me again one of these days because you did such a good job. <laughs> Oops, sorry. No kidding. And it's backlit, which is a very nice thing. I don't know how I lived without a backlight. It's a very, very nice thing to have. Yeah. I actually, I uh, before I had backlit, I had glow-in-the-dark key stickers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did on our natural keyboard. Yeah. Because Bianca, uh, this is apparently a pretty common thing with women. Uh, she often scratches off the labels from her keys just through regular use with her fingernails. Yeah, it's like, it's not even deliberate because of the way most keyboards are designed. They're kind of like stickers that are on the keys. And so uh, my nails happen, happen be one, ha which happen to be quite sharp, scratch them off over a long period of time. <laughs> and so what would happen on all my ergonomic keyboards, in addition to apparently be, to being uh, soaked in various juices, <laughs> Would lose uh, the, the the labels on them, and so I I would I it would be ridiculous. Like I wouldn't know which key was which if I was doing if I was looking for a certain key. I just mapped new skill to. That's right. So unfortunately, oh yeah. So once we uh, bought some uh, glow because we didn't have backlight, we bought bought these glow in the dark stickers, one for each of the keycaps, that were in kind of a funky font, so you could read them whether it was light or dark. Mm -hmm. So that was really neat. Um. So now Bianca's unfortunately having the opposite problem where instead of scratching the paint off of a key, well, she's still scratching the paint off of her keys, but instead of scratching the letter off of her key, it's kind of the inverse on these Logitech uh, uh, keycaps. Uh, key mm -hmm. um, the keys, I guess they are clear and they spray paint them with this black uh, black uh, covering. And then they they use a stencil or something. So they spray everything except for the shape of the letter on top of them so that the the backlight shines through that non-black area. So Bianca is kind of scratching those keys now so that she's scratching more. Instead of taking the letters off, she's like scratching off more of the black stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of smearing. But still more resilient than the other ones. Yeah, the keyboard itself has not had anything spilt on it, which is remarkable. It is remarkable. Hallelujah. The wrist rest is a little smaller. The footprint is smaller on the table. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. So it's they less bone, spill uh, prone. Yep, and uh, they have a nice clicky sound. Yeah, they're real nice and clicky, but they're not too loud. Love them. Great okay. keyboard. Mm -hmm. And they have a feel that reminds me of uh, some of the older keyboards that uh, that we grew up with before they went to that uh, that uh, 
foam uh, that squishy uh, cell stuff. Oh yeah, the um, uh, the dome. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the dome if you like it, but um, well, I just, I just like mushy. being able to. I just like the clickiness of it. Like all the old, all old school keyboards have that clickiness to it, which is just awesome. Yeah, it's like a really really easy to use typewriter. Yeah, it's pleasurable to use, and you know whether you're pressing something or not, and it's a lot. It lasts a lot better because those dome keys start to wear out a lot faster. All right. Um, um, okay, I want to mention this. Oh, has it been too long? Have I remembered why I wanted to talk about this now? Um, what was I going to say? Okay, well, I'm going to talk about this video card now, and I'm failing to remember why this reminded me. But I just wanted to, before I talk about this, I want to say uh, that I forgot to mention um, Joe Mastriani's Upper Memory Block podcast. and that Umbo. He, Umbo. And then he recently, <laughs> hi, Joe. And he recently had a special uh, episode with a uh, Google Hangouts with a few different people. And it was such a good conversation. The topic was uh, things in games that have changed you. And there were some wonderful, heartfelt, very personal stories that I enjoyed very, very much. And I know you will too. So I will certainly put a link to that in the show notes. We waited too long. I had a reason to tie that into what I'm going to talk about next. And maybe it'll come to me as I describe it. Shit, I don't remember. Anyway. You can um, just skip it and go to the next one. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll talk about this piece of hardware anyway, which is another video card. This was my NVIDIA GeForce 4 MX440. This was my first real 3D accelerator card. Um, oh, I know why we. I know why this brought it up. Because uh, Trolls was talking about his first 3D accelerator, which was the Matrox Mystique. Matrox was a Canadian company. Oh, yeah, Joe mentioned they were in uh, Montreal, and he used to daydream about working for them. My parents' house north of the city is right near AMD's building. It used to be the ATI building, so I always had dreams of working there as well. And I even tried to talk to their technical writing uh, company or, uh, department, but they wouldn't put me through to them, so screw them. Now they don't exist anymore. Now they're AMD. It's a beautiful <laughs> building. So anyway... Um, because he had the Matrox Mystique, I had a different one called the Matrox Millennium. I think the Mystique was supposed to be the slightly more powerful gaming card, whereas the Matrox Millennium was more of like a CAD card for uh, business use. Um, I guess I didn't really do my research or I didn't specify. I was always hoping to get a Voodoo card. And I told my, my parents that I wanted to get a 3D accelerator video card. And so they brought me this Matrox Millennium card, which had all these lofty promises, but I think it was actually slower than CPU rendering of 3D stuff, so I never used it as a 3D accelerator at all. But it was a competent 2D uh, card, at least. So my first real uh, 3D video card happened, I guess, by accident at first, because I, I, mean, I think I told this story when we were talking about CD-ROM games initially. I bought this CD-ROM drive so that I could play Myst, because my, the CD-ROM drive that I had originally, I think it was a single-speed CD-ROM drive, and Mist needed at least a, a double-speed CD-ROM drive. So I bought this double-speed CD-ROM drive from a nearby store, and Mist ran absolutely terribly, even worse than it did with the single-speed. So I didn't know what the hell was going on. I looked in the manual, and then realized the manual said, by the way, there's some kind of a compatibility issue with this specific model of a CD-ROM drive <laughs> that says that it's the right speed, but it's not. I think maybe I'm getting my stories confused or something. I think it might have been a four-speed CD-ROM drive for this. Anyway, uh, it remains the same that for some reason or another, I had to return this CD-ROM drive back to the store I bought it from. 
And it was like a good 150 bucks or something like that. And the store was pretty clear. They said no returns, no refunds. Uh, and so I came with my tail between my legs asking, begging for a refund. No, we don't do that. But we'll do you a favor and give you store credit. So uh, I took the store credit and I looked around on the shelves. And they had this 3D accelerator card, the NVIDIA GeForce 4 MX440 which was a real discount, like a, a, a bargain kind of a card. But it was the first video card, the first 3D card I ever had. So I took it home, I installed it. Hallelujah, I think it was an AGP card and I bought the right version of it mm -hmm. and everything. It actually went into my computer. It didn't overload my, uh, my uh, power supply or anything. I put it in, I played a couple of games. The first game that I remember playing with it was Virtua Tennis 2, I think it was, and it looked unbelievably good. I could not believe what I was looking at, because not only was it playing this game at full resolution and at 60 frames a second, but also with anti-aliasing, and I was just completely floored by the performance of this card. And it wasn't long until I figured out how, like, what an underperforming card it was, and I had to play a lot of games on medium or low settings but I was just absolutely thrilled with this card. It gave me several years of good use, and I was very, very happy with it. And it's what sold me on the uh, benefits of 3D gaming, because thanks to my Matrix Millennium, I figured, okay, well, maybe 3D gaming is just a fad, and I'll just skip out on it. And meanwhile, 3D effects made their voodoo cards that everybody was raving about, but they were expensive. And I think first they were a daughterboard card or something, and then they were a full card. So I thought it was a fad and I would skip it, but then I realized it was for me and I was better off for it. Okay, um, uh, do you have any other hardware that you wanted to talk about? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not in, not necessarily strictly in the hardware sense, but in the sense of uh, how it affected me. Cause sure. Now it would be the CD burner. It was a creative. Oh, good call. First CD burner I ever had. Oh, right. We decided, we discovered what version it was. Uh, somewhere just uh, recognized it. Yeah, it was a CD. It was a CD-ROM burner, and I believe he might have had a similar one. It was a creative. It was out in, I believe, 98, actually. 98 or 99. One of those two years, because it was the computer, we, the computer we were using, a Pentium 166, was still pretty viable, although it was written with a whole bunch of fucking uh, viruses and everything, because we not, neither of us knew anything about computers. Mm -hmm. And so, um, anyways, we got, it was actually a Christmas present for my dad for the uh, house, mm -hmm. since we were both since we were both using the computer. So, in addition to uh, that, I also got Warcraft Two. So, but I wanted to burn a copy for a friend. Mm -hmm. After I realized what a burner was, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a copy for a friend. But I didn't know how to install the uh, burner. And so, fortunately, I had two neighbors who were pretty versed in computer hardware, both of which are Army veterans. One was an ongoing sergeant with an inc with, who lived by himself in a two-bedroom uh, house. He, in one of the rooms, he had a Linux server. And not just like a single computer, but like multiple iterations of Linux all running at the same time and all installed to do different things and to scan for different, to scan for different things. All, all, I, I don't remember specifically what it was for. It's just that it was absolutely mind boggling that he had this whole room dedicated to computers. Hmm. And uh, just one door over from him was a gentleman who had 
who is who is a retired army veteran had done two had done a tour of duty or two in Bosnia, and um, was uh, and has and I had seen him in the in the sergeant walking around the neighborhood with a laptop trying to poke holes in people's uh, wireless modems, mm-hmm. or at least trying to find these entrances and exploit them. When their Wi-Fi yeah passwords and stuff, you mean? Yeah, this is when it was when te- when Wi-Fi security is really bad. Mm-hmm. So he was the so this uh, so this is the guy that came over on Christmas Day. He, they they these people lived above us, and um, and installed this piece of hardware for me. Um, the only reason I remember this hardware was a because it had a door that I could flip open, and b because uh, he this guy came over and showed me how he to, to install it, and I could see him moving around the guts of the computer. And it was just so fascinating to watch this thing go from being in the box to suddenly being a living, breathing part of my computer. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of the uh, moments that, that made me realize I wanted to go into uh, technology. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's so nice to have an expert show you all the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. It's also made me realize that later on I had to actually start taking math. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. The only time I ever used math with computers was in college when I had to do subnetting, really. Mm-hmm. I know, but it was a requirement to get in that you needed math. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I had to go to summer school to brush up on math before I could get into college. Mm-hmm. I had to crunch math across two semesters mm-hmm. in, at the, in my last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so uh, there is that. So... This burner was actually pretty awesome. It was how I was able to back, back up all oh, this awesome anime I had downloaded with WinMX. Mm-hmm. Because I only had a two gigabyte hard drive. Oh, so you burned them like crazy? Yep. Yeah. Well, thank goodness I threw away my spindles and spindles of, <laughs> of uh, <laughs> oh, pirated, pirated content, most of which I bought back, or at least some of which. Mm-hmm. Same here. Yeah, that's all in the trash now, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. It was taking up so much space. <laughs> yeah, the same computer, this Pentium 166, actually wound up going to a good friend of mine when I got a compact in uh, 2002, a really nice compact. The, yeah, the uh, school that I went to had a um, had a recommended computer and everything, which and I could also and it also let me uh, buy Windows XP Professional on a massive discount. I got a student price for that. Mm-hmm. And so I upgraded from Home Edition on uh, Pacera. Anyway, so the computer I gave my friend was my Pentium 166. And I gave it to him because his dad was a computer hog and wouldn't let the family use the family computer. Because he just wasn't a nice guy. How come we don't use that term anymore, computer hog? That's just like the best visual image if you take it literally. (laughs) Yes, it is. I guess because people are glued to their computers and everyone has their own computer, so you can't really be a hog. If you're, if it's your, if it's your device, and everyone else has their own device. I guess so. Since hog tends to imply that you're hoarding it for yourself when somebody else wants it. Right. So I gave it to my friend, and when I last the second time, and then after, and the next time I was over, he had me come, he had me repair this computer for him. Mm-hmm. By this time, I had some knowledge of computer hardware, thanks to Hardware One Hundred One. <laughs> right. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so. I'm fixing this computer. Oh, and this is back when those cases were just unwieldy and huge. Right. And there was and this, and you had to take off all the screws in the back, slide off the top, 
and it was just heavy. It was just pure metal. I don't think there was. I think it might have been a metal alloy. All I know is there was nope. It was not not a plastic in that case. Yeah, I think so. So I took it off, did what I had to do, and then when I slid it back on, I didn't notice, but I managed to catch my finger in it, and then I take my hand out, and I'm like, oh, I'm bleeding. <laughs> my friend freaks, <laughs> runs, goes to the bath, and comes back with a Band-Aid and wraps my finger in a Tigger Band-Aid. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> just I like the pros. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my last memories of my Pentium 166 with being cut by it. I think it felt uh, that I, I abandoned it too early, but I'm like, sorry, too bad. I didn't have any room for you. No. And then I actually gave, and when I built my next computer, my first computer after I had the Pusera, the compact, I gave the compact to a friend of mine, and he took it to him. And he walked from I don't know where, like from the from the edge of city limits across Rouge Valley. Chris. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> carrying this fucking case with him. Um, and uh, the only thing that was missing was a hard drive, so I kept the hard drive. I'm like, okay, you can have everything but the hard drive. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay. Oh, he's he, the nicest guy. He is a nice guy, happens to know, and happens to be a programmer. Mm-hmm. So he carried this stupid thing home. I'm like, why? It's because uh, he wanted to make a server out of it. Yep, that's what I. That's what we should have done with so many of our computers of days gone by. But they're yeah, all like full tower, or medium tower. They're all huge and wouldn't fit in the friggin' room. Mm-hmm. And then we could put, you know, half dead hard drives in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days we'll have a server. Ten minutes after we don't need one, that's when we'll actually do it. Mm-hmm. So, right. Is that all you have to say about the CD burner? Yeah, that was pretty. That was an awesome thing. I still remember being able to like stick my nail in and just flip the door open and shut because the tower sat on my desk. Mm-hmm. It was a, yeah, it was a creative, and it was just so awesome. I mean, yeah, sure, I had other stuff, but come on, CD, CD burner for Christmas is pretty. Is a pretty cool present. With in the nineties, it was an awesome present. Oh yeah, I love my first CD burner. I've already talked about it, so I won't repeat my stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you have your. All right, I will. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now. I've talked about some other things before, and we've already talked about enough video cards. I have one video card that I'll, I'll only say one sentence about it, which was. My Radeon 9700, which I bought after the GTX 440, sorry, the GTMX 440, whatever it was. Um, that was an insanely, amazingly fantastic video card. Very, very, very powerful for its time. It's what I played Half-Life 2 on. And what was unique about it was that even though it was an extremely powerful card, it had no fan. It was just heatsink and fanless, so it was oh. absolutely silent. Yeah, I think I remember this. Yeah, that's right. I, I replaced it eventually when... Uh, when, after you and I had met. So you could, like, fry an egg on this thing, basically, because it got so hot, but it was absolutely fanless. It lasted for many years, and uh, only at the end of its life did it start to show little visual anomalies like red dots on the screen or something when it would start to get hot. Um, so the last two pieces of hardware that I'm going to talk about are related because they're both not computer hardware, but they are electronic games. So not, like, computer games, but electronic games. Um, one of them... I got as a little kid, um, and it's really going to date me, I'm sure. It's called the Coleco Electronic Quarterback. I only remember this vaguely, but when I saw a picture of this uh, recently when I went looking for it, it all kind of came flooding back to me. So this is a game with a series of LEDs, 
and at some like basic rudimentary electronic programming. It has a series of LEDs that are with a superimposed, um, like a vinyl drawing or whatever you call it, like a vinyl. Uh, what do you call this kind of a? What do you call this kind of a thing on top of the LEDs? A vinyl. It's like a decal or something like that. Yeah. Um, that looks like a football field. Uh, so. I think there were like circles and dashes LEDs. The circles were players and the dashes were a ball, something like that. And the idea was you just wanted to run run the ball from one side to the other without getting caught by the other person's blocker. So there were a few buttons on it and uh, some physical switches on it. There was like a kick slash pass button. There were up and down buttons that would allow you to run like up or down on the field. And there was a left and right button, which would allow you to advance one square over, or like 10 yards forward, I should say. So you would just kind of run your thing from the left side to the right, all the way to the end, and then you would score a point, or seven points, whatever it was, and you would appear on the left side again. I played this all the time, and I brought it with me all the time. I'll see if I can find a YouTube video of this, but it's a really attractive, very sexy-looking, early 1980s, big clunky looking machine it's about the size of the original game boy but it only plays one led based game and that's a very charming thing about it i'm sure i don't have this anymore but i bet it would be a valuable collector's item it is pretty cool it is the other item that i'm going to talk about uh, i guess the last one is an electronic game called maniac and this was actually invented by ralph bear who made pong and the uh, magnavox odyssey and a whole bunch of other electronic and video gaming uh, pioneer kind of uh, uh, inventions. Incredibly smart guy. He also made the electronic game Simon, the memory game, which I hated because I have a bad memory for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Did you like Simon? Did you ever play that? Yes. Beep, boop, boop, beep. I was really, really bad at those. Uh, I played it once in a while, but I, re but I never really owned it. So, I mean, I enjoyed the times I played it, but... Yeah, I think I'm glad I didn't own it because I don't think I would have actually uh, finished it or at least continued it beyond the uh, novel aspect. Did it have an ending? No. Mm, it was hard. It was really hard. But I think I played it just to the point of being amused instead of being annoyed. Mm. Okay, but me, me too, I'm sure, which didn't take long. <laughs> it didn't take long for you to get annoyed with much. Right, especially you. So, <sighs> Maniac is made by the same guy, Ralph Bear, and it's an electronic game, and it's for, I believe, two to four players. It's not a single-player thing. Um, I'm hardly remembering this thing. It's on my my parents' uh, bookshelf, and I bet it still works. It's a really, really cool-looking machine. It's this, like, black machine. Um, it's a black machine with an, L an LED screen in the very middle that can just show, like, two characters or some uh, or, or uh, some lines that can move around like to by toggling one position to the next. And if I'm not mistaken, each player only has a single button, the Maniac button. So, uh, like North, South, East, West, there's one button on each side. And so I think some games were for one player and they would have to press more than one button, or some games were a timing thing where each person had to press their own button faster than the others or at the right time. Um, what was cool about this game was that it had a real variety of different games that you would play against each other, and it would keep a tally of which player had scored how many points, and at the end would tell you who won. So that was the real genius of it, was that with this extremely limited piece of hardware, it had a lot of variety and a lot of different activities for you to do. And 
to play a game of Maniac meant that you would go through a few different games, or all the different games, which had quite a different variety. So if you were good at reflexes, you'd do well at some things, but if you were good at memory or if you were good at uh, strategy, then you would do well at the other parts. So it was a good uh, test of your various uh, mental faculties and physical abilities, I would say. Mm -hmm. I'll do my best to find a YouTube video that shows the different modes, but it was the kind of game that you really needed the manual to read to read about uh, what uh, each how to play each of the games because there wasn't enough room on the device itself to describe it. I think what it did was before you played a game, it would show you a letter or a number or something, and that's which game you were about to play. And I had my favorites and my least favorites. Uh, it was very, very, very cool item, and it just looks extremely unique and very stylish. Okay, do we have anything more to talk about in terms of our favorite hardware? I know that we're forgetting some stuff, but... Yeah, we probably are. There's only so much mm -hmm. a man and a woman can say on the topic, I guess, <laughs> in one I don't day. know. What about your speakers? Those are pretty awesome. I've, I've spoken about these before, but sure, I'll mention it. I bought these, I think, on Boxing Day. Oh, yes. We both bought our speakers on Boxing oh, Day. Oh, yeah. Four or five years ago now? Yes. Um... We used to use these, like, stereos, these, like, all-in-one kind of boombox stereos, which lasted us pretty well. They were fine. They and, weren't great, but they were okay. And they had uh, multiple, and they had, like, five CD, and it was a five CD changer with a tape deck. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dual tape deck and five CD changer and various quirks. They had remote controls and stuff. Yeah. They did the job well enough. They sounded okay. They were good for games. They were good for music. But uh, I was hoping to get more serious into music composition, which never really happened with any, with any great enthusiasm, unfortunately, or any great commitment. But um, I wanted to encourage myself by buying some good stuff. I was also into DJing at the time, and I think that was the big decider. I did do lots of DJing with these, with these speakers, so that was good. I shouldn't sell myself too short. I did no. lots and lots of DJing. Yeah, you did, and you've uh, played some music on them. They, they sound good for some, for, mo for some kinds of music, not oh, others. They're the best. Mine, I, they're the best speakers I've ever had. Absolutely no question. Mm -hmm. These are the KRK brand Rocket 8 speakers. Mm -hmm. um, they were available in a bunch of places. The best price was at Future Shop, but we went to, was it Steve's Music on Queen Street? Yes. Where they had the same speakers... I think Future Shop was sold out or something, or we were just at Steve's Music with your dad or something. Yeah. And they had these speakers, and they were more expensive, but they were super cool, and they said that they would match Future Shop's price. So I think they knocked off like $100 or something for the pair. They were like $250 per speaker, and I bought two of them. Yeah. Which is not cheap at all. They were by far the most expensive, fanciest speakers. True, but they've lasted you a long time. They have, and they're as good today as the day that I got them. Mm -hmm. And um, they are uh, they are studio reference monitors, which means that they are intended to be configured with like with a flat EQ, so you don't use bass boost or treble boost or or uh, sound blaster crystallizer or anything like that on them. You're supposed to just keep them totally flat, and on a flat studio reference monitor, that means that if you have um, I don't know what it's called, a kind of a meter that you use to measure the intensity or the volume, the pressure of sound coming out of your speakers at different frequencies. It's supposed to be that every frequency is more or less equally as loud. So sometimes you have speakers that sound really bassy, and that's because the bass tones are louder than the other treble and mid-range tones. This one is supposed to have a very consistent sound from something like, uh, I think it was from something like 30 hertz to 18,000 hertz or something, which is extremely good. 
That's almost the full range of human hearing. Um, love these freaking things to death. And they're, they're called Rocket 8 because these are the edition that have an 8-inch woofer on them. I considered buying a subwoofer, but when I heard the bass that comes out of these things, I have not considered it since. They go down to something like 20 or 18 hertz, which is just unbelievably low. And that's one of the reasons why I got these kind of oversized 8-inch woofers, because they have the Rocket 4, 5, and 6, and 8, and also Rocket 10. And basically, the bigger the subwoofer is, the lower frequency bass sounds, tones it can produce. So it shakes my table just fine with an 8-inch woofer. I don't need a subwoofer. I don't need the 10-inch woofers. Oh, it's yeah, fine. and, and I they're huge. We gave a you, you demonstrated this with a song from EVE Online. Yes, you're absolutely right. There's one song from EVE Online. And isn't it like the fifth sound on the soundtrack? Oh, you know me too well, my darlingest one. <laughs> uh, yes, this is the song that I basically use for testing speakers. And I'm going to stick this at the end of the episode because it's a beautiful song. The whole soundtrack for EVE Online, by the way, is amazing. It's got like four or five or maybe seven hours of this gorgeous electronic ambient music. Very, very beautiful music by some Icelandic uh, composer. If you can, if you have absolutely no interest in the game, but you can buy the game on sale as you often can for two or five or ten bucks, buy the game because the full soundtrack is in OG format that you can extract no problem. You just copy it to your music folder and you're good to go. Um, there's this one song that I play which has really low bass tones and at the same time it plays chords that are kind of like strings or about in that uh, 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 acoustic range so because the strings are a chord it's important that you're able to hear like both I think it's two tones that it plays at the same time like that are maybe five semitones apart a fifth interval you have to be able to hear both of those tones very clearly at the same time as this rolling low sub bass so as long as you can hear the sub bass without any distortion at the exact same time as those two tones of strings you know that your speakers can handle pretty much any task that you throw at it. So that's the one that I recommend to people who have bought new speakers. I recommended this song to my friend Shannon, who bought a pair of new speakers. And I think I remember him saying something like his coffee mug kind of skidded across his table and spilled all over his carpet. <laughs> so that's how you know it's a good song with going through good speakers, right? <laughs> and uh, we got Bianca some smaller, lesser studio reference monitors, which I kind of suspect might be a kind description for them. But they're, uh, I wouldn't call them studio monitors, but they're great speakers for music and sound in they're, general. They're definitely studio monitors. I just don't know if they're reference monitors like they call them. No, but these are definitely high quality for uh, what I'm using them for right now. And they're very handy with the features that they have physically on them. Yes. I actually didn't, uh, although uh, Brian was trying to encourage me to get something closer to his, I wanted something with... Uh, you wanted some convenience. I wanted some convenience, which is what I got in them. For example, I wanted the headphone jack on the front. And I would like, and I wanted volume control on the front of the monitor in the form of a knob. So I got these mm -hmm. um, Cakewalks by Roland. They're quite nice. They've got, um, which is a really interesting name because Cakewalk is the name of some MIDI synthesizer or MIDI um, yeah. sequencer software from the eighties. I think they still make it now. Yeah. It's got a decent size. Uh, so it's got a decent. It's got nice tweeters on it. Mm-hmm. So it's so great. you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Which is good for me because I don't listen to his moats because a lot of my music isn't heavy on bass. So uh, this tends to... 
What are you looking at? I'm hypnotized by this how brownies are made animated gift that you have repeating over and over. They're like super chocolate turds falling into little containers. It's hypnotizing. There we go. Thank you. Much better. A fat guy being sad. <laughs> or what, you? <laughs> Finish your story, lady. It's almost time to go. <laughs> okay, so these have excellent tweeters and... Yeah, this is the woofer, right? Or simple? Correct. That's the woofer. Yeah, and, and my woofer on it is not as big as the one on uh, Brian's studio monitors, but uh, it's still big enough that you get decent bass out of it. And, you really do. Mm -hmm. And I've tried not to really mess with the uh, balance anyway, since it has good balance as well. The only thing I really uh, tweak with is the volume knob. Since this, since I don't know what the volume of something's going to be, and I'd rather not adjust the... Uh, computer volume, but I'd rather adjust the uh, volume on my speakers. Oh yeah, your speakers actually, very interestingly, have two volume knobs on it, because you yeah. can plug two different sound sources into the same speakers and control the volume independently. Yeah. Never seen that before, that's brilliant. And you have the power button on the front, and you have the phono out yeah. on the and front, the quarter inch phono. Trouble, which I've left right in the middle. Yeah, that's really, really nice. That's something I really, really missed and was hoping to get. Um, because when I had my old stereo plugged in for my sound, I had a head, a, a earphone jack in the front, and if I plugged in headphones, then it would turn off the speakers, and it had a volume knob in the front. So those were really nice to have. Now, thankfully, this uh, keyboard of mine, the G of ours, I should say, the uh, G710, has a volume knob right on it, and it just controls the software and the operating system, mm -hmm. but that's a nice way to, to change the volume. Yes, and it also has a mute button, which is nice in a pinch. That's right. Beach. Don't pinch me. <laughs> All right. We've been going on for three hours plus. Okay. Shall we, we call it a day? Yeah, sure. Let's call it a day. All right. So much fun talking to you guys, and what a fantastic pleasure it is to podcast with my wife. <laughs> Thank you, Bianca, as always, for uh, allowing me to co-host with you. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> and, folks, we would love to hear about some of your favorite hardware. Yep. And that doesn't uh, disqualify uh, Tomer, by the way. We'd love to hear more stories uh, from you, either as a... Uh, a contributor of a voicemail or an email or as a guest again. Mm -hmm. ah. Yep. Wow, we didn't have any voicemails or letters this week? No voicemails or letters this week. Hmm. Not even any corrections. I'm disappointed, actually. I know. I guess we were all so perfect talking with uh, Ben and Kelsey that uh, no one could refute a single, a single uh, uh, stool that we passed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think they could really refute favorite characters. Although someone should have come send a, a um, an email or voicemail to us telling us their favorite characters. Yeah, you awesome. should have, people. You really should have. By I all mean, means, if you've got favorite hardware or a favorite character, please do let us know. We'd love to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get in touch with us, do you want to do it, hun? You can reach us on the web at squarewavefm. No, say it right. I'll do it. Okay, fine. <laughs> On the web, we are squarefm.demodulated.com. By email, we're squarefm at demodulated.com. Kiss my hat. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. So, thanks a whole heap, folks, for uh, listening to our yammering and our jabbering. I will leave you uh, very cautiously with uh, this uh, speaker testing song from Eve Online. I do advise you to beware of the volume. I do try to balance the volume of the songs with the relatively uh, low volume of uh, this podcast, but uh, I, I will warn you uh, in advance, maybe you want to turn it down a little bit before you listen to the song. Or you may want to turn it up depending on your preference. That's right, just turn it up, never mind. Turn it up and damn, with the, damn any of the consequences. <laughs>
All right. And any keyboards. And any keyboards. Yeah, keep your coffee mugs away from your carpets and keyboards when you turn this on. <laughs> Love you to pieces, folks. Thank you so, so much for the very incredibly humongous privilege of uh, having you listen to us. We love you like crazy. Have a very good week. Bye. Bye-bye.